Off the ball. You two lads are from Leinster, so it's no wonder you're given out of the provincial championship. I don't want to take away the provinces. Who drew the geographical lines back in the day? It's because of the way that the provinces are broken up. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. OTB's The Hurling Pod. With Board Gosh Energy. Hurling. It's anyone's game. You are very welcome along to the James Skettle podcast, as it has been called by James Woodlock, Tipperary's All-Ireland minor winning manager last year. Here we go. Woodlock, Galway will raise their game for tip. They always do. I heard James Skettle's podcast last week. So we have kind of unofficially taken the title at least for this week uh, to call it the James (laughs) Skettle podcast. Uh, Paul Murphy is here with me as well. How are you, lads? How's it going, Will? Tremendous, Will. Tremendous. Uh, we got a message from James Skell, I think about 10 minutes after he finished his punditry work on Saturday, saying, I cannot wait for this week's podcast. <laughs> Such a, just as well we didn't record it then because I was high yeah. as a kite after the final whistle. I, I have to apologise to everyone else in the commentary gantry or everyone to call it beside me because I scream like a passionate supporter. <laughs> Probably not the most professional approach, I will admit, but I, I'm not taking it back regardless. <laughs> well, there was a bit of correspondence beforehand. Uh, I hadn't actually noticed this one until earlier today, but our good friends at the Premier View podcast had this to say about James Gale before the game. Take it like that, it, it lines up as a tip win. Now, James Gale probably won't thank me for saying that and it'll give him another opportunity to tell the whole world how much everybody including himself in Galway hates tip which is you know but that's fine I mean like we've we've played them 31 times in Championship Ireland we've won 22 they've won 9 if we had a record of 22-9 against the county I'd probably hate that county as well so you know <laughs> that that poor mouth that, that he's putting on and that mm-hmm. two chips he had on his shoulder are, are very easily explained when you look at those statistics you know so all things being equal, Kevin, I think if, if we go about our business, the lad said if we get our matchups right, there's no reason why, why we can't win this one. And, and and just to finish, last point I'd make, I saw somebody say today, against Lee McCarthy teams in our last 10 games, we've won once. We need this. Yeah. We, we, like, we need us. So there you go, James Scal. Chips on both shoulders. And now Galway are 10 wins at this stage after the weekend. Yeah, and like what he's referencing there, I, I, like I don't listen to that podcast, obviously. Um, what he's referencing there is actually nothing to do with it because, like, I'm only looking at this from a generational perspective. Really, it's it's my generation I played, and in my memory, since since I'm a child. Okay, so I didn't know we played 31 times. I didn't know the count of 22, nine, sorry, 22 10. Now at this stage, um, what I what I know is probably the last call it 30 years. Do you know what I mean? 30 years. And like, I, I got into a bit of a, what would you call it? Maybe a spat. I wouldn't call it a spat on Twitter with some lad after. And I, I, I went looking. And basically, I, I've heard tip of six Ireland's in 50 years and we have four. Do you know what I mean? But I just, it's it's just bred into me. I'm sorry now that it's Tipperary jersey. And like, this is first and foremost, right? Probably I chose the wrong word and I said hate. I put that hand up. However, I think everyone, sporting terms, know, know, what, I, know what I meant. It's just when I see the, 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 that yellow and blue jersey, it's like the red rag to a bull. For some reason, I don't know. It was monkey see, monkey do. My uncles, my mother, everyone just, it's a chip thing, you know. And it's, I think it's a healthy rivalry because we produce good games. So, yeah, but uh, 22 10 now. Mm. And I'd happily take the 10. Uh, Virgin Media's political correspondent Gav Riley one of the first people in on the questions earlier today on Twitter scale he says hi Will long time listener first time caller I'd like to ask James how much does he still hate Tipperary oh okay that's probably <laughs> it'll never die let's I'm sorry no it'll never die it'll never die as long as this, this as long as I'm alive in this earth and we're, we're, we're talking and looking and watching and 
you know, going to hurling games, tipper at the top of my, uh, what's the word I'd use? Pyramid. <laughs> I said pyramid, you said shit list, right, go on. <laughs> that, that five seconds right there, Mark, just explained our performance. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean, though, you, you get what I'm saying, like, you know. Um, but yeah, look, it's it's um, I just I was delighted, and in fairness, I'd say if we lost that game, there was going to be some amount of correspondence back to me again. Which again, I said it after the game. That's that's it's it's a good part of sport where we can engage, like we're here, draw pundits essentially, and we can engage with people, and they can throw the opinions, and we can throw it back at them. So like it's mm. it's no harm, and I think it's one of the fun parts. If you ask me. I think so. Uh, Cormac Quaid was also in contact, and I promise we will get to the hurling very, very soon. But Cormac Quaid said, for the new boss man, which is you, Scal, not me or Murph, uh, what was the tastiest banter that he received from the tip fans when he was in Limerick? Tasty banter. Um, I got a ferocious amount of looks. Oh, Jesus, if looks were kill. Oh, like uh, <laughs> even a guard, it was from Clare, I'd say. He, had, he said, hey, you weren't to go easy on Clare, you. <laughs> that was him. And he was a big lump of a guy or two. I said, Jesus, I'm off to an office yard. It took me, I parked in Jetland, right, which, as you know, is across the road from Gaelic Grounds. It took me probably 25 minutes to get 500 yards. Right, <laughs> back, back, back and forth and, and you name it, whatnot. And then I got in the door and I met, uh, I met a couple of lads from Clare and who was right beside them only Matthew Macklin, the boxer. Hmm. I mean, Honorary Tipperary man, yeah. I wonder if he heard the podcast. I, <laughs> I, would, I was over just talking to him for a minute and I shook his hand and I was like, oh shit, I said, he didn't hear the podcast. So I kept going. Then I went to get in the gate, you know, and there was a lady there. She's taking the names of the media and she goes, hey, you're awful hard on us. And I said, let me guess, you're from Tip. Yeah. And I, said, I said, I won't get in here at all. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> then I turned up the style, turned up the steps. And as I'm going up along, this young lad said some, I don't know what he said to me, but I just remember what I said to him, I said, the best thing to come out of Tipperary was Bulmers. <laughs> dead, dead walking. <laughs> ah, but was good. Look at the, there was no real nothing, nothing crazy at all. Like just, just good healthy banter. Do you know what I mean? Which is which I like as that's Now I did didn't help myself where I walked in my maroon Galway top, so I stood out like a fucking sore thumb amongst all the yellow from and a rag to a bull in the middle of Munster as well. But go on. yeah, probably not. Probably not the best choice, but I won't lie to you. I did it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I did it on purpose. I could have uh, I could have rocked in and been a little more inconspicuous. But uh, no, so yeah, I, I won't say nothing, nothing bad was said or good and healthy. Right, I have one more to play to you, and this was one of our Another own. One. Anthony Nash, last Friday's off the ball, ahead of the games at the weekend. Jar Gilroy asked him about your comments. Here's what he had to say. I don't know if you heard uh, Scale this week, but uh, he was un- unsparing in uh, the details of how much he hates Tipperary because that's that's the local rival. It was like proper hatred, which I actually love to hear because it's, it's so when he when he was younger, right? I heard a story from him. He said he how much he hated Cork as well. This fellow just seems to hate everybody, right? So <laughs> this is why I haven't joined the podcast just yet. <laughs> I think I might leave it off. We might get a bit heated, but he seems to hate everybody, and even his it was a TV fifteen to go off as well. So um, I'm probably the camera goalkeeper and, and news talk which isn't in itself probably isn't an amazing achievement but um, yeah he, I get it I get it and you know what right they're, but they're two similar counties they're both very proud hurling counties with unbelievable talent they're, they're a team that I really look forward to watching that match you know so um, and again I just really hope it's, it, it lives up to its billing and there's your chance now Skell to respond to that do you hate everyone and do you still hate Cork Jeez, lads, we're getting very deep. You know? <laughs> Can we rein it back in a bit? Uh, I actually don't remember saying that. I was like, he said, when I was younger, I was like, did I say Anthony about that? About Cork? 
I don't know. I you could do what it was. It goes back to uh do you remember I said last week about Night Hayes, how he said before we played Waterford back in two thousand nine? And he said, uh, we've no he said we've no beef with Waterford. We we've never mm. played them, but we have to develop a bit of beef. And that's kind of maybe the mindset that I do have at times there, even for, if we're playing someone, whether it's club or county, it's like, okay, I dislike you. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure why. Maybe you can say it's quite an, it's maybe it's a naive approach, but look at it works for me. Works for me. I don't. I don't hate anyone. I just. I just strongly dislike them. I put that much. Yeah. On a sporting field, because I, I said to you, I've one of my best mates is from Tip. Like Corklands, I know. I know. Hey, plays plenty. Corklands, plenty. Clareleds, Union, Kinkinleds, all sound fellas. Like so, no issue with them off the pitch. On the pitch, then it's a different story. And tell me this, because a few people sent me screenshots of the full-time score after extra time in the Galway hurling league final, and they were like, "Scale won't be too happy after this." But you were injured and didn't play. Yeah, I didn't play. Um, in fairness, no, it's the, 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 I, uh, I, missed not, I missed all the league, would you, would you, would you say, because I was with the minors, um, trying to give them a bit of focus. So the two goalies, Cormac and Michael, balanced every game. So it was only fair that, that Michael was in goal. So no, I did not concede the five goals, okay, <laughs> first and foremost. But yeah, we, uh, we messed that one up, Will. We messed that one up. Like we were a pint up in injury time, had plenty of shots to, to go two, if not three up, and then Lockray equalised it. And then, you know, an injury or two and it just all falls asunder but uh, it was a great game to get, get great preparation we had nine players who didn't play a senior championship that started yesterday so it's uh, it's it's good that we're able to integrate some new wells and hopefully look forward to the club championship in a couple of couple of months or even less I'd say five or six weeks at this stage Jeez, the, the year is going so fast that's Christ mm-hmm. many games are left now Murph <laughs> yes, I don't know. She's upstairs. <laughs> I, I did see someone before we go any further make the suggestion as well on the Instagram. I'll get their exact name in a second, but did suggest earlier today that actually a podcast which we could put on at some point. And I suggested maybe this was an idea for Ronas Paul. It's Enda Burke who sent this in uh, on the Off the Ball Instagram. Any chance Mrs. Skell and Mrs. Murphy will appear in the pod? Be some crack if they did. With a, with, with a bottle of wine each. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is it, yeah. Behind the scenes. Yeah, what they have to put up with, yeah. Uh, well, my poor wife is heavily pregnant. <laughs> so I don't think she's wanted to hear on screen. She's well, the worked. bottle of wine might be great either. Ah, for me, like. <laughs> <laughs> You'll take a, a wine-sized bullet for her, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. She, I'll leave it up to you, lads. If you want them to make an appearance at some stage, maybe they'll make it onto fair. stage in Dublin. I don't know. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. That might be the right time. Um, yeah. Just in well, case anyone didn't hear. Grace is due on the 10th of August. So we could be asking for trouble if we bring her on stage in Dublin. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'll tell you, if the, ba- if the baby comes a little bit early, you're in trouble to actually make the live show. But anyway, and people at this age will have heard all about the live show, I have no doubt, on social media yeah. since. So July the 20th, we're going to the Borgosh Theatre. Um, it's going to be... The bigger of the two roadshows we've done so far, I did see a lot of people point out, they were like, um, hold on, lads, didn't you have a live show last year? And we did. We went to Dolan's and Limerick last year. So whatever suggestion was made that this was the first time that we were ever hitting the road, that's incorrect. But definitely the biggest show we've ever done. So we're going to the Borgosh Theatre, July 20th. Tickets are on sale now. And all the ticket proceeds are going towards two really good charities, the Dylan Quirk Foundation and Focus Ireland. So it's going to split between the two of them. Tickets have actually been going really well so far. Um, you'll say, sure, of course they'll say that. But no, no, as of uh, now, they've gone really well because we did wonder about Dublin uh, midweek on the week of the All-Ireland Final. But the benefit to that as well is we're going to have some really good guests. First confirmed guest is Joe Canning, who gave you a little bit of uh, bit of slagging on the way out scale on Saturday as well. That's his, that's his third time, would you believe, 
to catch me as I'm doing an after match. Uh, what you call it? Interview, what you call it? And he's 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 his timing is excellent. <laughs> so he's walking past, and I can see him coming the corner of my eye, and I'm like, oh, shit, he's going to say something smart here, and I was going to be caught. And he, he does this a white square kind of job, you know what I mean? And then I, I start laughing. And he goes, do you, "Do you still hate Tip?" The only comment I could give back to him was he was wearing a suit with, with white shoes. I was like, "Ah, oh, man, it's white shoes. <laughs> That's a fashion disaster right there." <laughs> he was ready for a night in the town, I think, in Limerick afterwards as well. I don't know, Murph. Is, is Anthony Nash still welcome to come? I think he was definitely on my provisional guest list when we were making the next calls. Oh yeah, absolutely. Why not? Because he he doesn't agree with Skell. I think that's more of a reason to invite him, if anything. I was hesitant because two goalkeepers, but now that oh, that could be a bit of a needle there. I think happy days. Jesus, it'd be strange to see Kenny Man and Corkman join up, wouldn't it? I don't, I don't see us joining up. I'm just going to throw the hand grenade in between the two of you and let you on. That's basically my plan. And just sit back. <laughs> you put put you on one couch, or maybe we'll get yeah. another Kilkenny person. We've got Canning and Skell on the other, and then we'll work out other guests around the final itself. But as I say, most importantly, Focus Ireland, Dylan Quirk Foundation are going to do the best out of this night. Um, some people have asked, they said, look, I'm not going to be around that week. It's all Ireland final week. Will there be a podcast? Uh, will there be a video of it afterwards? Uh, the long and the short is there definitely will be a, an audio podcast. I think we'll probably be the whole show um, the video will probably go out in segments based on what happened last year and what tends to happen at these live shows so of course the best thing to do is to go there because there will no doubt be material that will come out that for one reason or another we will be told cannot be committed to video um, it gets a little bit saucier with the stories with the lads than normal I think that was my experience Murphy least of Limerick there was at least four or five stories mm-hmm. that I remember happening and other people hadn't seen because it never made the YouTube yeah well like I mean the natural flow of these things in fairness we had great crack in Dolan's last year um like you're kind of interacting with the crowd as well. And then obviously, look, people come for a good time. They're having a few drinks. And because they're, I suppose, have a few questions about things we may be speaking about, you tend to go a little bit off track in conversations. Podge Collins was in the crowd for a little bit last year. Obviously, he was up on stage. And then a few side stories came out with different things with him over the years and playing matches and stuff. Uh, we had Joe Quaid on as well. Naturally, when you have Joe Quaid in the equation, it tends to go off track anyway. So, but... <laughs> No, what I what, like last year, what was great crack was even before the show. Like we were we were in there early enough, and you were meeting people, you were having a few drinks, you were having a bit of a crack, and then even when you went on stage, you could see the same fellas looking up at you. And when there was a chance to ask questions, like there was a bit of a crack there, and even afterwards, myself Skell went off stage, which I'm sure could be the setup for this. And you know, Joe and Anthony Nash might take the stage for a small bit, but even afterwards, we're having a bit of a crack during the show and after. So it's um. That's good. It's it, it, it's a great live show. It's great interaction as well. So looking forward to this. Looking forward to it. There's a lot of water went under the bridge since. A lot of topics have come up. So there might be people airing a few grievances on the night. Yeah, and as a few people pointed out, last time we went to Limerick, uh, we ended up bringing CCTV footage home, uh, such was Scale falling off the chair. But to his massive credit, Scale, even a year on, you didn't spill a drop of your Guinness despite that chair yeah. going to pieces. Yeah, it's the best, <laughs> best catch you made in my life, isn't it? <laughs> didn't spill a drop. Liquid gold. Uh, liquid gold, indeed. If you go to the uh, off-the-ball socials, or indeed any of our socials, because we've been retweeting the... Uh, the graphic with all the details you'll see the ticket link there as well there's family tickets available I, I don't know why um, you'd bring your children to listen to these two men telling stories but on that your own head be it if you buy a family ticket or you can buy uh, the individual tickets as well and all the proceeds are going to the Dylan Quirk Foundation and to Focus Ireland right let's jump into what happened in the hurling at the weekend um I don't know, Paul, you were away at a wedding, so I believe you were watching this as it went along, and then you get a chance to review it afterwards. Mm. On the kind of overall, were the two quarterfinals a little bit disappointing in the end? Um, I suppose, look, Dublin and Clare, for the first 30 minutes, I was actually really encouraged by what I've seen from Dublin. Didn't expect um, 
Dublin to put that to clear. And there's really great bits of individual skill involved in the game. But, you know, I did watch him back, uh, both games back, I suppose, once the dust had settled on both of them. And there was a contrast between the intensity between both games. And in fairness, if you're to look at Clare and Dublin, after 30 minutes, once the dam kind of burst, you could see that the confidence just seeped away out of Dublin. Uh, obviously, losing Donald Burke is a big loss as well. But, you know, the floodgates opened and Clare were just expressing themselves at that stage. And you could see it with Tony Kelly, with Shane O'Donnell. Again, I know we'll talk about it, I'm sure, later, like the individual catch from Shane O'Donnell. Like, incredible. There was, there was just bits of skill, but in fairness, credit to Dublin. There was a few bits of high feeling as well that was just top class out of Dublin as well. So, But you, if you actually look at both games uh, side by side, the intensity wasn't there. There was a lot of space in the Clare Dublin game. And I suppose what everybody kind of expected to happen, happened uh, for Dublin, which is unfortunate. You know, you would like to see Dublin be a bit more involved in the game coming down the home straight. But look, um, Michal Dunhu's first year as well, and you do have to remember that. You know, um, he's 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 lost a lot of players over the last few years. So to sustain that against a clear team that are really going well was never going to be easy. But when you flip across, then I suppose to uh, to Galway and Tip. Look, it was an exciting finish. There were certainly parts of the game that lacked a bit of intensity. There was a lot of wides as well. There was a lot of things that. Absolutely, like, I mean, Galway will be delighted with the win, but there'll be definitely parts that they'll be looking at going, like, we can't let this happen against Limerick. We dropped our intensity. We hit a lot of wides. And, and there was two goal chances that, again, I'm sure Skelly will tell you the height that the ball was hit and the placement of it. If you go back and look at the Clare goals and even the Dublin goals, what they did with the ball, where they hit it low and hard into the ground. So it wasn't flawless stuff by any means. Um, but I, I think certainly, look, Clare fans won't be given out. They're happy to be into an All-Ireland semi-final um, hopefully for them, John Conlon will be will be fit and healthy. Uh, they seem to have a fairly clear injury bill coming through, uh, so that was good for them. And Galway will just be happy to be into the All Ireland semi final with things to work on. So look at the second game was certainly the better of the two, um, and there was excitement involved, but by no means was it flawless hurling either. Yeah, um, we'll start off maybe with the second game then. So Galway come through in the end, uh, one twenty to one eighteen, and it was the Connor Whelan show in a lot of ways. Skell he scores. 1-4 from play. You were doing up the sums before we came on for the podcast. 7-15 he's now got from play so far this season. Kind of quietly, is he playing himself into contention to be hurler of the year here? He is, yeah, because I just, as a matter of interest, I, I went checking the numbers to see what he's put up because it feels like he scored a lot. Um, <clears throat> you're dead right when he scored 7-15. Like he had, uh, he's the only player that I can, I, I, I'm open to correction here now on this, but he's the only player that, that has his features in the top 10 scores and he's on a free checker. Hmm. Um, so like he's he's so obviously he's 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 broken into the top to the to the top ten scores overall. He's the top scorer from play in the championship, as far as I'm aware. Um, second is Tony Kelly, as far as I'm aware again. So like he's just he's just on fire. His last two games has probably been, I think, obviously two of the best performances that he's put in. Like I know last year was very good. Two of the best performances he's put in in a long time for Galway. And I know knowing Connor, he'd be nearly disappointed, you know, with the way. I suppose some of the finishes went, went, went on Saturday, but like he worked tirelessly. Like I, I watched him coming off, and even the man the match interviewed it after, like the sweat was booking off him. He covered more ground back and forth laterally, you could say, and uh, and vertically that time to create the space for himself. Because I would have been not critical is the word, but I would have been probably concerned is the word I'd use to say that he was always under contest when the ball is coming to him. So we can how can we unlock unleash Conor Wheel and get him into space and get him get him going? Because when he gets the ball in his hand and turns at you. He's very, very hard to stop, and say, because, you know, if you tell the best about this now, but if you're arriving on contest, you have a great chance. If a forward gets out, gets picks it, and is able to move left or right, you're in a, you're in a mm. spot above it. Do you know what I mean? Especially yeah. with someone as powerful as him. His striking is unbelievable on both sides. He's that lovely touch he does. He pulls it back into himself. Yeah. And, like, he's kind of a, a, 
what a kind of a, a side striker, a side spin on, on the shot. So he's very hard to get at because he's, he's shooting his load. You know what I mean? It's down yeah. low. So I'd say he's a terror to mark. Um, but he's just, he's in her of the year form. I know we, I think the question was posed to us last week about who was the front runner. And there was no real front runner, but I think we have a clearer picture now after the weekend. So like, I, I may as well just say it. <laughs> I have probably five guys that I'd have in the bracket at the minute. I'd have Tony Kelly, Shannon Donnell, Connor Whelan, Dahi Work and Owen Cody at the minute. And Limerick, you know, people say, hey, what about the Limerick guys? But no one from Limerick has stood out like Jimmy Burns. Glenn? Not, not, see, Glenn did good against Clare, right? He did, he did mm-hmm. right? But he didn't really shoot the lights out, you know, which we come to expect of him, in fairness. Now, if he's if he's another good semi-final, which I hope he doesn't, <laughs> is uh, he's definitely in that territory, absolutely. Um, but I suppose people who have been consistently good over the course of the championship, I'm going to have to say those five, but yeah, Conor Whelan, Colonel Deer Farm. Mm. Um, Murph trying to stop Conor Whelan then uh, any time the ball went over into that kind of left corner forward channel sometimes he came a little bit deeper he caused problems for anyone who went out on him Carl Bart was on him for most of the game but Dan McCormick had a period when he was on him as well um, he was a real slippery customer at the weekend because of not just his pace but Scal just mentioned he was really good at getting into a position where he'd have space to swivel and turn and he has no problem taking that ball into contact and out muscling you as well well that's it and like the thing is with with um, Conor Whelan is like you need someone on him who has physicality like if you think you're going to outrun Conor Whelan to a ball like the only person I've seen that has done it quite well has been Hugh Lawler and that's not to say any bias like it, it, it is a fair feat to be able to outrun Conor Whelan to a ball um, but if you look at the first 20 minutes or so I didn't think the, quali- the, the quality of ball we're putting too much pressure on Conor Whelan to actually try and win a good quality yeah. of ball but <laughs> what I think is is really hard to defend against Conor Whelan is if you look at the ball, the two balls, let's say, where he slipped lads nearly for, for what turned out to be, I suppose he, he, he filed the, the, the goal chance in the end or spoiled it in the end. But when he's running out to a ball where a defender is literally sprinted to go to it, Conor Whelan spreads himself wide and he puts his arms out and creates space for the ball to travel to so he can turn onto it, as opposed to trying to control it in the instant. He then turns the, the, the corner back to make them run a goal, which no cornerback, no defender really wants to be running at their own goal. But Galway weren't giving him that ball at the start. They were making him work really hard and balls where he had to stand static for to try and get. Whereas if you were defending against Conor Whelan, what lots of defences want to do is uh, random 50-50 high ball comes in and let his man compete with it. And then basically the backup comes running in to create it into a bit of a muddle to stop him from getting the ball and stop him from breaking out. Because the one thing I made I made note of, just looking at my diary here from the match, was Conor Whelan's balance is unbelievable. And I, like, as I say, what do you mean by that? Balance is, is like, there's a few players where I, when, I, when you say to me, like in terms of balance, like Richie Hogan and Conor Whelan, these lads, in terms of being able to change their direction, and no matter what you do to them, they stay moving, stay on their feet, and they're able to get a strike away that's a good quality strike, not kind of striking for the sake of striking. If you look at the, the, the point Conor Whelan got where... He threw the shimmy. I think it was Evan Island gave it to him. Threw the shimmy, turned back, and immediately was ready to strike the ball. Lads might look at that and go, what are you talking about? Some players would turn, would turn back on that, and they wouldn't be set for another two or three seconds to take that shot. But he has just such a strength and such a balance about him. There's other scores he got as well, where he gets the ball, has a look, is able to change direction, and the defender is scrambling to stay with him. And he's an enormously big man, you know. So there's so many things about him that I think once Galway figured out what type of ball they wanted to give him, he caused panic in the, in the Tipperary full back line then. And if you look at the second half, there was, there was clear panic in the, full, in the Tipperary full back line because he had sent out a few warning messages that he's on form and now Galway are giving him the, 
the best type of ball. And you even think about the one in the second half for Mikey Breen Renford. And I'm sure Conor Whelan, it looked like to me, he just leaned into him a small bit and let Mikey, Mikey Breen's momentum carry him. And Conor Whelan judged the ball perfectly, turned back in. I think it was the last point he got and popped it over. He was just in his flow mode then. There was no stopping him at that stage. So, like, it's very hard man to defend. Extremely hard. Um, and I think for him... I marked him, yeah. The only time I got a red card in a game was against Conor Whelan. And it wasn't because it was fouled him at all. It was a league match. Or no, it wasn't a league match. It was a round-robin match in, I think, about 2017 in Olin Park. What happened was I got the first yellow after about 10 minutes because Jason Flynn broke through. One of the defenders wasn't tracking the runners. Jason Flynn broke through. So I was like, right, grand rugby tackle here now because it's going for goal. Take him down. So I took him down, took the yellow. Give out to the lads. And I'm like, now I have to go back on Conor Whelan after 10 minutes with a yellow card. Like, I mean, straight away in my head, I was thinking, I could be in bother here for the next, you know, 60 minutes, trying not to foul him because you have to be physical with him, you know. Um, yeah. But I actually got sent off for what wasn't a second yellow card. David Burke flicked the ball over my head. I went up to catch it and he ran into me midsection and I got a yellow card for the second one, which was kind of, I expected to get a yellow card for maybe over fouling Conor Whelan for the second one, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But, um, no, yeah, I've marked him. He's a tough, he's a tough lad to mark. And like, if you look at 2015 was the first time I would have come across Conor Whelan. He yeah. was he was a light enough fella then, but by God, yeah. like, I mean, he's enormous now. If you look back at the 2015 version of him, he wouldn't even fill out the jersey. But if you look at him, like obviously in that time, he's put on a few stone and muscle. Like it's a different... Like what, what, that man, what that man did, Murph, you're dead right. He came back, he came in in 15... Uh, very soon out of minor he mm-hmm. was the stick like he was he was yeah. very narrow it was actually a clip of him where he's doing like a fist pump and the jersey's hanging off him you know yeah that winter that winter I, I just I don't know what he did uh, over the course of a couple of months but he just he just transformed into a unit yeah into a unit and like and he, by god he was that strength the reason I asked you to mark him is because how do you find him physically I'd never get near him obviously in training unless I'm going out to stop a shot off him but like wrestling with him mm. or, or low because he's, he's every time I see him he's low to the ground which means he's he's lowering his center of gravity no one yeah. can shove him off the ball yeah 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 this is it Nobody. like you um yeah you can't there's no there's no defender that will physically out muscle Connor Whelan like as in you'll go 50-50 with him but the thing is is if you give him a ball because he's so big as well what he does is he shapes the body so well that that he's taking that ball low into the midsection and putting the hand down or controls it like he controls it so well shortens the grip up so the the for you to get a flick in them is very hard to do. But likewise, if you're actually out in front of him, like I remember one stage, I remember a ball went out and I was ahead of him by two or three yards. And I remember saying to myself, if I don't control this one against another corner forward, I'd fancy my chances of standing my ground and being able to rise the ball and push him away and pop a hand pass. But mm-hmm. I said, if, if I don't control this first time, Connor Whelan could win this ball because he'll hit me a shoulder and, and put me off balance and now we're, we're now we're in a 50-50 grapple so he has something that a lot of forwards don't have in that physicality but no he's a very tough man to mark and another thing about him is that he's like his kind of a cyborg nearly he doesn't react to anything he just keeps going keeps going if you look at him and he gets fouled around, he just gets up goes about his business again whereas other lads you could feel you could get under his skin I don't think you could get, get under Conor Whelan's skin he, oh. he never struck me as a player like that he's kind of out just to do his own thing. He, he he's going about his own business. Lads can push and pull and drag out him all they want, and he's just getting on with it. He doesn't seem to get flustered, which is a, a remarkable trait of a of a of a I suppose a corner forward or full forward that has crosshairs on him every day he goes out. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Skell, was there any kind of twitching in the seat when the John McGrath goal goes in? Because by all rights, Galway should have had the game wrapped up by then. I nearly broke the seat with. <laughs> 
<laughs> so my twitching and then it broke with vexation. <laughs> because like we had um we so we score a point in the fifty first minute with it puts us eight points up, I think. Uh, I could be open correction there, but it puts puts us eight points up and then they come back and score, I think it was one four without reply to get back into a mm-hmm. point. And like that was the case of I, I know we did the reverse Kikini a couple of weeks ago. Um but it felt like oh god, this can't be happening. And they did it so fast, like we it wasn't over, you know, it wasn't the side that it is over a period. It wasn't over a minute or two where they just struck us for. It was like over nine, ten minutes. So this it was kind of a very, very bad patch for us. And like we had plenty of opportunities at that stage, you know, to tack on an extra point or two and keep the keep the gap open. And we just we weren't getting them. And there was worry, and for sure, and there was a big chip following there. And they were they were they were loud. They were getting behind their team, and you could see energy was actually getting back into the tip lads because up to that point, I thought God got their matchups brilliantly right. Um, and they, they sapped the energy out of Tipperary. Galway threw them into a kind of a game plan, or threw them into a, a method of play, if you want to call it that, and uh, just didn't allow Tip to, to get, get free-flowing ball into their forwards. Like every ball that went into a Tip forward, generally, was uh, was under a contest, you know, um, specifically with the likes of Keogh and Morris, and, and these guys like Shane Cannon was, again, always under contest from, from, from Garage Mack. And then, in the proper patch, that seemed to stop a bit, you know, and like we were the... Again, I won't say makers of our downfall, but we certainly were big contributors in the way we conceded the goal, um, which was disappointing. But again, we yes, we conceded the goal, but we weren't opened up like Kenny opened us up two weeks ago. So that was just obviously a huge positive for me taking that away. That um, yes, it was an error. It was an error that led, led to a goal. Shit happens. So so we move on. But the good thing is we didn't concede a concede a goal that we we got we got opened up as such. So yes, I was twitching. Um, nervous, I was. Um, but then, like we got some, we got some really big scores. Like Keenan Fahey got a huge one. Like Jason Flynn came on. The first thing he does, he puts in a good hard tackle, uh, gets the ball, shifts it across, and it results in a point to us. Those kind of things, mm. like you need those kind of uh, turnover balls. They call them the forwards, whereby it, the ball can't be come back to your defence the whole time. Jason held yeah. it up, turned it over, point. That's that point there now is nearly worth two. I know it's not, but it's nearly worth two in in in, in the kind of. The, with the way the game would, would transpire. So I thought they closed out very well. Um, we did. Um, now, listen to me. We have an awful lot to work on. Like, I, numbers again, we've, we had 18 whites, you know, and we had, I think, we had five clear, clear cut goal opportunities, in my opinion. So, Connor, I would, I would definitely say Reese Kelly made three very good saves. Mm. And if you were like, you know, like Shelley was obviously been tested by the shots, but you would think those three should have probably been converted into goals. Yeah, because I think Connor had. Connor in the first half alone had three, I think. Uh, he had one that was saved by Shelley, which was which was up high. Um, again, I'm not a forward, but as a goalie, the ones have to go low. Um, then the second one, I think, was he it a put one pick? into the side net, didn't he, on the left hand side? There was a, there was a second one. There was a miss pick. I think he went. He was through, but then I think just maybe the pick up or something like that. The third one, then it hit actually Shelley's foot. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but like that, like I said earlier on, Connor be disappointed with those goal opportunities. We as people were thinking, Jays were definitely going to get one or two or three goals in this game and it turned out we only got bloody one so like, so like mm. when you get those type of opportunities against top quality opposition you've got, you've got to take them so um, happy that we, we, we obviously tonight we won right but we left probably I, I think anyway we left at least 3-6 behind us mm. which is amazing when you think about it <laughs> we left 3-6 mm. behind us clear 3-6 not, I'm, not, I'm not putting that on my hole that's a yeah. clear 3-6 that yeah. we should have done so Murph yeah. how do you explain Tipperary in the first half particularly because Last week, 
they run up a huge total. It was a 7.35 against Offaly. It looks like their forward line is really clicking and maybe that poor first half, particularly against Waterford, is behind them. And they've almost just kind of burned that out last week and they should really be firing and in good form. And last week, everyone was talking about how their players look hungry and intense and ready for a fight for jerseys and so on. And then they have another first half where their full forward line doesn't score again. And so much of the Tipperary ball that was being sent into the forward line was being played to that very tall Galway half-back line that was more often than not coming back out with the ball. How do yeah. you explain how they played in the first half particularly? Well, I suppose the intensity that, that, that Galway brought to, in fairness, not, uh, not to talk about Galway first before I talk about it, but like mm. from the throw-in, you could see the intensity that Galway were bringing. And I think it sent a very clear message to, to Tipperary in terms of there was no hesitation in, in Galway in what they were doing, which is brilliant because... If you were involved in any team, the one thing you would say, regardless any day we go out, I don't want any player to hesitate. Like, just stop for a second and think, will I or won't I go? Like, that's a, it's a killing thing for a team to have. And Galway just didn't have it. Galway seemed to just go out and go, I'm go we're, as individual players, I'm just going to run all day. Even if the ball looks like it's a 10% chance I'm going to get, I'm going to go for it. And those were things that Tipperary weren't doing. Tipperary kind of hesitated at times. And the long ball, now in fairness by both sides, the long ball was criminal at times. And I think it's something Galway will definitely look at going forward saying, lads, we have to tighten this up against Limerick. We won't get away. We maybe got away with it against Tip, but we won't get away with it um, against Limerick. But Tipperary's long ball just really wasn't working for them either because, I mean, they were lumping it in on top of Garrod McInerney and these boys and they're coming out. Even Darren Morrissey was coming out with a few good balls as well and Jack Grealish and these ads. Like, they just were well set up. But like, when you're lumping balls down there and, and Dahi Burke is coming out, like, that's almost like giving Galway a score because it's such a killing thing. Like, it's one of those things that's just... Tipperary before this game would have said, lads, Dahi Burke's going to be sitting in the pocket there. Don't put balls down on top of him. And never mind contested balls, they were uncontested balls. And that was kind of a killer. And what I saw then at the other end was there was a few... Period, or there was a period there where Tipperary hit about three or four wides and uncharacteristically like I think Noel McGrath was one I think Alan Tynan could have hit another one could be wrong but there was at that period like teams will go through periods of a game could be a 10 minute period where it's it's fairly unremarkable stuff they might hit two or three points but it just keeps the scoreboard moving keeps the confidence going and then when Galway hit their purple patch and you've kept the scoreboard going yourself but Tipperary didn't really do that for me. Like they were just hitting the wides. They were they were losing a few of the few of the battles around the pitch in terms of the rocks. And then at the other end, I thought I, I marked it here, the thirty-third minute. It was the period where Conor Whelan made that unbelievable catch. Now there was a wide hit after it. I think it was Kevin Cooney hit the wide after it. He should have put it over. But straight away from the puck out, Galway forced a, a, a ball from the cornerback position to be hit across the field out over the sideline by Tipperary. It was one where they tried to spread the play. But there was the pressure of the Galway forwards that caused it. And I know, like, I mean, any time I've been part of a team that's been going well, that pressure from the full forward line where they're going, we're going to fight as hard as we can to not let you get the ball out. Because the easiest thing in the world is to let you run out the field with the ball here, maybe get a flick, maybe get a block, whatever. But instead of just the forwards holding them in, the, the Galway forwards did so well at an important time just before half time to send a message to, I suppose, Tipperary to compound the good work that they've done. And going in at half time for me, there was a big mental battle won there by Galway. Granted, absolutely, Tipperary came back into it with that John McGrath goal. But I always believed that the the, the marker had been had been already laid there for Galway. That the mental battle, if it was going to be won, Galway were going to win it because of those things all around the pitch. And the very last one then was like, what, what did I mark it down here? Is it was Tommy Monaghan's point in the sixty third minute. Like at that stage, then when the game was in the jaws. Dahi Burke goes running forward. Tipperary, in fairness, turned them over. Great. But then Jason Flynn gets in. Like Jason Flynn gets stuck 
in, turns it over, sprays the ball across, and Tommy Munnan is motoring across, ball is popped up to him, sticks it over. Like that just to me, when I saw that, I said, Galway are they want this, they really, really want it. And you couldn't look at any particular stage during the game where Tipperary were doing that. Do you know, it was just came down to yet yeah, granted, Tip came back within striking distance of them where they could have won it. But it was always the mentality, the mindset, the work rate just seemed for me to be with Galway. And and the last thing I'd actually say in it was, you know, Liam Cal kind of said it after the game where and I thought I found it really refreshing. I always like hearing Liam Cal talk. He's very honest, he's very frank. But he just said we were we were just weren't at the pace of it. And I think that sums it up. Tipperary just weren't at the pace where Galway just seemed like they really wanted to win this, they really wanted to put the bodies on the line, and they did. So there was just those were the things for me where the win and the losing game really, really was really happening. Yeah. It's like it's like um in every sport like there's there's a certain characteristic of a team or a certain type of play, let's say that if you get on top of you win the game. So for example in rugby, if your scrum is going backwards, you're you're likely to get bet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, in hurling, if you're winning, you know, the the physical battle kind of the work rate battle, you know, the, the we always say the hooks, blocks, the tackles, and like you're 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 winning as well, the body language battle, you know what I mean? It yeah. was so evident, like it was really, really evident that yeah. always body language was very forceful. Like, like, yeah. like it was very like, like I said very frank like we're here to do a job like Joe Cooney yeah. Joe Cooney is an absolute gentleman he's as quiet as a mouse uh, off the pitch you know what I mean you wouldn't hear boo out from from the show in he was swinging and fist pumping I said jeez we're, 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 we're up for it which is a great yeah. sign and that's that was the tale of the day though wasn't it it's just because we snuffed yeah. out Chip Rary's possession like we didn't like Norm McGrath was a concern for me I was like I was worried that he was going to give Savage Ball into forwards but Sean Land did a super job on him like we did, did a super job that full back line did a super job on the on the the, the uh, chip foot forward line. All of them were, I think, all of them were taken off. Actually, that could be open to correction. I think, I think, I think Jake Morris, James, James Kyle, and Mark Yor taken off at half time. I think Jake was take, was he taken off for a finish? I can't remember. Yeah, possibly. Well, did, 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 did yeah. Ryan come on for him? Actually, I think Ryan could have come on for him. Don't know, but I don't think anyone scored. Am I right in saying that? They definitely didn't score in the first half. It was the first thing I wrote down at no, half time. Is they no, I don't, I don't, no, I don't have them down for anything. No, yeah. no, so they didn't score. So again, that was just the tale of the day. Like usually, when when these big big wins come, it's because like the, there's been a great uh, you know work done by, like I said, more from the in, in the forwards, but the backs are super well. Like the, the backs mm. to uh, to come away with conceding one eighteen in, in a championship game. That's not a bad concession rate, lads. In fairness, yeah. if you're if you're conceding below in nowadays, conceding below thirty points, you're not too too bad. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So yeah, all around a good performance in fairness with more to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Keown Callan came off. Morris did finish out the game in the end. Yeah, but, but yeah, it's very surprising though. You know, we see Noel McGrath coming off after 53, the two lads coming off at halftime, like some of their most experienced players. And I don't know, like, can you put your finger on it, Scale? I know you've laid out very nicely there how Galway win the individual battles and some of this comes down to uh, the intensity and the mentality that Galway maybe brought into the game after the Leinster final. But like for Tipperary to be that flat in an All-Ireland quarterfinal like can you put your finger on why a lot of players there who've been playing really well all year don't put in a good performance when it really mattered at the weekend yeah um, you see it's very hard to actually determine what the, what the cause of a performance that is, for, is from and you can go looking back and you can look because people now will start uh, on about the training schedule the regime you know they'll start talking about fatigue and they go back too early etc etc and they'll, they'll likely compare uh, Waterford, Waterford last year's Tipperary this year how was it so strikingly similar which, which it is to a certain degree you know mm. uh, fabulous league and then just started to go decline and it was a steady decline I have to say you know um, but it's just like it's hard it's hard to uh, verbalise this when things go well you've loads of energy you've, you've, you've any amount of energy it's like you, when you're running in training let's say and you're ahead 
you know, you, you've got loads of energy. When you're behind, it's like, jeez, I'm, I'm not fit. I'm this, you know, I'm this and that. And it's, it's kind of, I know that's very easy for me to say now, but in, in the game, I just don't think Tip Rary, barring that five or six minutes where they got back, you know what I mean, had the energy. I don't think they were let. Truthfully speaking, I don't think they were let. Like, um, I, like if you were to tell me, right, and go through every line, and I, and I went to Carl Barrett, I went to Ronan Maher, I went to Noel McGrath, I went to Jason Ford, I went to Seamus Canlan, those five guys, they were the five big guys in, in the lines. Did they win their individual battles? And I have to say, none of them won their individual battles. Um, again, I, I'm throwing out, I'm open to correct you, Murphy and Will, but I don't think they did. Seamus was taken off, Barrett got skinned by by, by Huilo. Um, Ronan Maher was in his kind of sweeper role, but like, Keane Fahey did really well, I have to say. Um, so, Noel McGrath was marshaled heavily by Sean Lennon. So when they're big players, I won't say don't perform, but when they don't produce, like they produce in the past, you know what I mean? It's very hard for a team to get energy and to get going. And like I could see Liam Cahill, and like he came over one at one stage and uh, Jake Morris was asking like, what do you want me to do? Because there was a lot of animation, I put it that way, on the sideline. And he just hit him three thumps in the chest and said, come on. Like, there was no real direction. It was just hit him, <laughs> get out, go up and go again. So they were looking for something. They were looking for a spark. And that's why I think he saw Noel McGrath came off the type of game just probably didn't suit the Noel McGrath. Like, he wasn't very open. You know what I mean? It was very tight, congested, um, very kind of battle-driven. So they, just, they, they couldn't get a spark. That was it. And the, when they did get the spark, then Galway managed to neutralise it, which is huge. Because mm. I, was, I was concerned. I'm not going to lie to you. I was concerned at that stage when the goal went in. I went, effort. Like, mm. If they get back to a draw, I said, We're, this is heading for extra time. But in fairness, Galway just put the, dropped to the gear and put the pedal down and seeded out. So there, there's no explanation... Easy one, Will. I think there's going to be an awful lot of factors in, in why Chip Reary uh, produced performance the did because, and like even, even discussing prior with yourself while Murph was fixing the dodgy Wi Fi below to Kinney. Give me that stat again, Will. You said a while ago about Chip Reary, who they've beaten in the last number of years since 19. Was it just clear so, enough, was it? I think so, yeah. The lads were saying there in the Premier Review podcast as well, since the 2019 final, it's one win against Salim McCarthy County since. Haven't gone past the quarterfinal leader since 2019. Which, which we, if you were to tell me that now, uh, like in four championship seasons, they haven't got past the quarterfinal and, and have beaten one you know, Division 1 team respectfully, I wouldn't just, I would have said, no, you're wrong, but... That's that's a stark that's a stark revelation, right? Um, I I wouldn't have believed you, Skell, if you'd said that a few years ago. Because even at the time where you know it felt like their 2019 side was coming towards the end of a cycle, there was still the success under Liam Cattle at underage level, and you thought there's just going to be another generation of guys that need to be worked in. And then there was the argument that the year after the All Ireland, not enough blood was coming in, and then there was the change made after last year, and you just kind of thought now is the right time. These guys are coming into their mid-twenties at this stage the next generation are kind of coming out of some really good college hurling and they've got Liam Cal back in who knows these players intimately they had a pretty good league behind them yeah. and you would have thought on, on like anyone would have thought I think going into this year the Tipperary were actually a live option like I don't think Jackie Tyrrell was trying to put some kind of hex on them a few weeks ago when he said that he saw them as major contenders to win the Liam McCarthy I think after what we saw in their games against Cork, Clare and Limerick there's no reason if we wind back a month ago to think that Tipperary wouldn't be contenders to the All-Ireland. Yeah, that's true. Can you remind me, guys, um, when did they play Blow and Parky Cueve in the Munster final? When Limerick came back at them and they were like seven or eight points up? 2021, wasn't it? 21, I think. Yeah, yeah so the question I'm asking myself is how did they get to the Munster final if... They beat Clarence. They must have beat Clarence in the semi-final that year. Well, that, was the, that, was the conge- that was the congestion. That was the congestion. Covid year, wasn't it? Round Robin was gone, so okay. Hmm. That's how... And then the round robin record was poor last year under uh, uh, why's my mind gone under Bonner last year? So obviously that's that factors into it a big bit too. Let me ask you a question: 
Seeing as this is my podcast, oh, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> the scale pod is. He should actually be in the center here, Will. By the way, you should be out of the center here now. I know I made a mistake setting it up earlier on. We'll fix it. We'll fix it for next week. What yeah. is is it is okay? I don't believe in coincidences, like, but with regards to the way Watford performed last year and tipped this year, is it a coincidence? Is it a, is it a trait? I'm I'm inclined to say it's a coincidence at the moment. Um, like you couldn't have factored in. You couldn't have factored in the way... It's, it, like, there is a lot of comparisons. There's a huge amount of comparisons, in fairness to it. But, like, so if, if... I think if Galway, or if Tipperary had gotten a better game, no offence to Offaly, Dan Offaly, before coming into this game, they may have performed a bit better. Like, at the end of the day, what did they finish up? Two points short of, of Galway in this game. Mm. Like, that's the same as what we were talking about, really, as with Galway in the Leinster final. Like, Galway could have won the game, only for... It was very small things. But did... You know, did, did Tipperary get a false positive coming back out of Offaly? The fact that they did look really sharp, really well, and they just didn't really care what Offaly were bringing and they just destroyed him. And maybe come away from it going, ah, yeah, we, we've turned it back on. But everybody knows you don't turn it back on. Like, you can't yeah. just turn that back on. So, I like, if, if I think if Tipperary had gotten a kind of, even like, you know, gotten a Wexford or gotten a Dublin or something like that, where it was a little bit closer and then go for Galway. But, like, I've been part of years there where you've gotten a defeat. You may have been hurling really well up to that. A defeat comes and it just jars you a small bit and you're trying to, you know, recenter. you're trying to get things back going. But it's a confidence thing. Like oftentimes they're like, when, for, for me with Galway at the weekend, they were running because of anger of the Leinster final, because of people getting on their backs. Like spite is a great thing, like to get, on, to get as a fuel for a player run out the pitch. Um, but like, Tipperary just didn't, didn't have that. You know, they just didn't have that. Maybe people went, okay, the water the game was once off. Okay, we're after beating. We're, be- we're after beating um, Offaly. Like if you hear the f- like, I tipped Tipperary to win. I think the whole place tipped t- Tipperary to win. Really, like you know. So maybe they went. Okay, maybe we are back. But they didn't really like. They were just off the pace. You know, completely off the pace. So I think it's hard to say yet because we're going so well that it was. There's something there to be compared with that it was like maybe a training regime or that it was something like that that Tipperary fell flat. Yeah, I think it's just back on the players. Um, only so much Liam Cal can do to, to drive them on. And at the end of the day, we don't know what was going on behind closed doors. We don't know if they were training hard. We don't know. And it's all speculation. So I think, you know, unless we see a third year and see what happens then. Um, but like up, and, up until this point, what I saw from Tipperary was really good. So I, 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 I'm, I'm a bit slow to, to, to jump to conclusions to thinking that by yeah. one game, you completely judge them, you know? Like I was surprised. I was surprised. I'm probably laying it more at the foot of the players, to be honest, in the management. Um, mm. There's only so much they can do, as you said yourself. I was very surprised by the body language, even though at the warm-up. So where where I was situated um, was directly above the Tipperary subs. And I promise, Gal, we got you the nice seat up in the crow's nest. It's just fabulous. Kindly, roasting above it too. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I was um, so the Tipperary were doing a, a drill at the a possession game based drill in the warm-up. And Derek Fahey, the goalie, some goalie, was moving out. He was doing puckouts, you know. So Derek was one side, and then I don't know who the first serves was. And Derek went straight into the middle of the drill. And nobody from Tip touched him for about 30 seconds. And I'm looking at this going, I was shocked. I could not get over this until Liam Cahill roars at Norm McGrath and points over, and then Norm goes over and dunks him, and after he goes in, no one touched him. Mm. I, 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 that, just, that doesn't signify like a Cahill team to me. Like I thought he'd be buried out of it <laughs> do you know what I mean <laughs> to get out of the drill because I if, if, put it this way if they came into our drill or any drill you'd be, you'd be let's say asking him nicely to mosey on so I just didn't see the intention I was asking myself then at the end of the game was there again just, you have all these questions was there a small bit of complacency do you reckon from Chip 
Uh, yeah, I, 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 I do think that maybe people were saying that, look, you'll beat Galway. Like, as in, it, it, was there kind of a thing around this game where lads go and look, it's Galway, Tipperary will beat Galway. Like, and that there was, like, like I said, I, I expected Tipperary to win this game. Not expected, I just tipped him, I tipped him just a small bit. But that's a dangerous thing when people, you know, when you hear that, when you're going to work and you hear all these different things that, ah, look, you'll, you'll beat them, you're great, and you're giving a pat on the back, when maybe... Not to say kicking the arse is what you need, but maybe that is what you need. I think the complacency may have crept in in that regard, where because it was just evident. Like I know we're probably beating beating the drum here, but just it was evident that they weren't at the paces, they weren't doing what Galway were doing, running for balls, getting hooks and blocks. Like Ray Boyne had a great stat up there that Galway got seventy eight blocks, hooks and tackles in, which was probably their highest for this year. Yes. And, and, and Tipper, Tipperary's was in the sixties, which doesn't sound like a whole lot, but they add up. Like you look at Joseph Cooney's block, I think it was Joseph Cooney's block and Noel McGrath. Yeah. Not, that, not a huge amount came of that but like those things are huge for lifting the team and driving them forward if you look at the likes of the ball that uh, Galway turned over in the second half that Colin Mannion actually came out with Noel McGrath got a yellow card for I've never seen Colin Mannion really fist pump he's not that type of player but they were they were relishing winning those balls they really seemed to value them at the weekend where Tipperary didn't have that same intent about them and I, I'd agree with you Scale. if that's something that happened in the warm up it was there well before Tipperary walked onto the pitch, you know, in that their heads weren't tuned for it. And like, if, if I could quote, I suppose, Tommy, Tommy used to always say a great game, a great quote before a game. Like, and he'd say it about a week or 10 days out. He's like, lads, we can't win this game before Sunday, but we can lose it. Like, he'd always say that even the Monday before that, like, we have a week run into it here. If you're going around listening to lads and you're letting lads patch in the back saying, oh, it's only, I'm only going out playing Tipperary, I'm only going out playing Galway, you're only going to play Watford, and you kind of believe it yourself. You'll arrive to the game five or ten percent off the game, and if you look like look at the throwing, the Galway boys were absolutely killing themselves. Granted, Tipperary won the throwing, but Galway boys were killing themselves all over the pitch to try and get to it. Whereas two or three Tipperary lads might have been doing it at the same time that six or seven Galway lads were doing it. And I just think it was it was definitely a mindset. A bit of complacency may have crept in, and it's funny a few small things might have got Tipperary over the line that the, all things said and done. Yeah. Uh, Carl Mannion's role uh, because the performance process who always do like really good stats have got up uh, Carl Mannion's performance here Murph he 27 possessions against Tip 22 of them came from passes which he picked up from his teammates and 5 came from direct interceptions of Tipperary Ball himself he was the source of possession for 14 Galway shots on goal which resulted in 1-5 of what they scored I was looking at you know his heat map of where he was receiving the passes as well he effectively patrolled right across the half back line left to right throughout the game caught a few balls centrally as well but all of the interceptions were pretty much from longer ball that was put in by Tipperary so for a guy that you probably want a little bit further up the field if you could clone him he'd love to have two of them he played a very effective role during that game at the weekend yeah he played he was huge and in the first five or ten minutes the amount of ball he was on in that period was absolutely huge and like 27 possessions for lads who aren't familiar with possessions um, if you get 20 possessions in a game you're on for a man in the match and people might say you can't you can't just say that no you are you're very involved if you have 20 possessions Groad Hegarty off the top of my head had 24 possessions in last year's All-Ireland Final and he seemed like he never had the ball out of his hand that's how much possession he had the only difference with Groad Hegarty was I think he scored 6 points in the game or 1-6 should I say and he was scoring he was converting that way but Cottle Mannion is setting them up he's the one man revo- removed from all of it and what's remarkable as well was just he's dropping so deep they're looking for him for the out ball so like if you see like yeah. Jack Reedish or whoever they're getting the ball up going where's Cottle Mannion here and on the flip side Tipperary weren't looking going who's the man just standing spoiling Cottle Mannion who's just because if you spoil that you're now breaking the circuit here you're, like the last thing you want is him looking up the field going who can I pass this ball to? And I'm fairly sure, trying to think he had a ball around 20 minutes in 
And I think Joseph Cooney went up the far side and he pinged it about 65 yards straight into Joseph Cooney's hand yeah. across Tipperary players. He's lethal accurate. And if we go back to what we were saying at the start with with um, giving the correct ball to Conor Whelan and Conor Whelan suddenly clicks and now he's motoring, Carl Mannion is the man to do that because he's it, it's a hurling brain. It's an IQ. It's nothing to do with just striking the ball up the pitch. It's looking up what's in front of me and what's the best ball I can give. If, if it's a case of bouncing it before it gets to Conor Whelan so he can just take it in hand or it's a case where I skate one up the line and allow a lad to run onto it. He has all that at his repertoire but giving him the ball 27 times is a very dangerous thing for any team to be doing and I expect going forward now that Limerick, I don't know, Limerick necessarily deploy someone to, to man-mark him. I think if Kilkenny were going against him, Kilkenny would. I think Limerick will stick to their system but I think Limerick will be hitting him hard as soon as he goes near a ball. The warnings be out there that lads, if you see Cahill Mannion and Galway are turning over the ball, someone get to him, stick to him, and make sure he doesn't get the possession. Because 27 possessions, we're talking about Conor Whelan for man the match. Where Cahill Mannion can't be far behind him. Skell, where do you play him against Limerick? Because when he went up a bit in the game against Limerick last year, he was doing damage in a more advanced position. Or do you keep him where he played so well against Tipperary at the weekend? I think this for, just to go back for a moment, I think this probably formed part of Galway's setup that they knew that Ron Maher was going to drop off. Mm-hmm. Um, because they're concerned about goal, goal concessions so when Ronan Matter drops off then Galway inevitably have a, a spare man so they, they plan for Cahill so that was part of the plan Limerick don't play that way really Limerick will go like was likely an orthodox 15 two men for forward line and kind of a, a that in between half forward, forward so Cahill certainly won't get the, 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 the freedom he, he, he got uh, last weekend he'll be marked he will be marked um, now where do you play him I, I, I play him where where he connects the ball. Like after the after the Kenya game, I was saying he was nearly too far back, you know. And I, I still don't I still don't like him picking up balls in the full back line. Or I don't like that. Like I want him picking up the balls between the forty fives because he he's a ferocious puck. So he can score from long range, but he can set up because he's got a, a beautiful strike, a lovely ferocious strike and a direct pass. So I want him somewhere he's going to be influential uh, and on the ball. So if he's full forward line, no, half forward line, I don't think so. You know what I mean? Midfield around that area where he can kind of float because he's not really in a set position per se. He's kind of going to where where he's best suited or he's he's, he's most needed. So he's he's a great connector. So like Murphy's exactly right. Every time he got the ball, it was like a, a twenty yard or a ten yard or it wasn't a big long pass. It was just a connect ball and then he'd shift it up. So like I'm probably putting him around the midfield area, kind of connecting the half back line, connecting the forwards, and then hoping he can get on ball and. and Tech couple of scores. He's got great pace as well. So as that's obviously possessions show balls he struck. But in terms of Limerick, he's going to have to carry more. I'd imagine get himself out of some some war zones as they say and then deliver. So an all round unbelievable athlete. But like twenty seven possessions is, is a sick rate. It really is like a sick rate for a, a quarter final. Like you know. Um, but uh, yeah, hugely important for us. The other quarter final, Murph was a little bit more routine with Clare's victory against Dublin in the end. So 5.26 to 2.17. Uh, Tony Kelly scoring 3-4 from play. Mark Rogers 1-11, five of them coming from freeze. We already mentioned, and maybe we get a chance to marvel about it now in a second, the Shane O'Donnell catch as part of his 1-2. Wonderful dancing feat for that goal when it went in as well. Um, but this was a Clare team who, at least my take on the way the game went, started really well. Great first kind of seven or eight minutes. Then Donald Burke has to go off injured. You're expecting Clare maybe to kick on a bit. They're hitting wides. Then Dublin have a good spell and get themselves mm-hmm. in front. And then Clare put the afterburners on late in the first half, bang in three goals, and you got the feeling at halftime this game is entirely dead. Yeah, and it's it's really something that Clare, I think, wanted to do. The longer you left 
Dublin in this game. Um, Dublin would gain a bit of belief, but at the same time, and again, this is just an observation, it's not an indictment of Dublin, um, you always felt that if as soon as Clare are going to hit the net here, Dublin heads might drop. That belief will be questioned. And because Dublin, look, they're a young enough panel, they're maybe trying to rebuild under Michal Donahue, they haven't the foundation of belief there at the moment, I think, to sustain you know, Clare getting a goal or two and believing that they can come back. Whereas the likes of, you know, Clare score two goals against, you know, Tipperary or, or Cork, it's not a big margin and those teams believe they can come back and, and, and score. But Dublin, you could just feel that the head's dropped. And then if you look at the rest of the goals, I mean, Tony Kelly sauntered through really once or twice and there was kind of a will I, won't I. Players didn't know what to do. It was very hard for defences at that stage, but Dublin just had no depth to their defence at that stage. They were playing very... I suppose they're playing a bit of a high line. It was working for a while, but once the dam burst, it, it was game over, really. And everything after that was just, it, it was a training session, really, for, for Clare. Um, and look, at I, I, like, I take no pleasure in saying that for Dublin. Like Dublin are an exciting team over the years when they get going and they have their own style of play, but they just couldn't sustain trying to stay with Clare. And I think Clare just absorbed whatever Dublin were going to throw at them knew they could absorb it. Once they got their scores, they were like, okay, now we're kicking on. And they never really varied out of third gear from there. And so, look, we didn't learn a whole lot. I suppose, look, like we said, Claire will be hoping now that John Conlon's injury, probably precautionary, definitely, that they took him off anyway. Like, if I saw any of the Clare players at that stage coming up with an eagle, you know, Shane O'Donnell and Tony Kelly, you'd be taking them off. And I think even a few people were saying maybe Tony Kelly should have been taken off a bit earlier once you knew that the game was... Um, was out of sight but uh, look hopefully I haven't heard anything about John Conlon yet again a big important man you'd hate to see him missing for an All-Ireland semi-final again this year but uh, there wasn't a whole lot I don't think Clare could take from this game to say yeah look it's um, we've, we've improved since our last game or anything it was it was, it was was too routine after 30 minutes yeah. What I would have taken from it Scal was that Clare needed to just continue running the ball against Dublin because they hit a few wides from bizarre angles in the first half and then you see the way that David Fitzgerald ran through uh, for the Rodgers goal uh, he just went through an untold amount of ball and the minute that they went through the centre whether that space was opened up for Tony Kelly for the first goal or for Shane O'Donnell for his goal when Clare ran the ball Dublin had no answer for them No answer and I think let's say for, for Clare to be successful like they, they really do have to uh, exercise that option with David Fitzgerald and, and use them penetrative runs because Dublin couldn't they just couldn't live with him like for a big, for a big man he's exceptionally fast you know and he's kind of deceptively quick as well but like there was lads running after him who we know have pace and they couldn't catch him which is surprising but like I was looking it was, I think the score at half time was, in my notes here was 4-8 to 1-8 obviously Correct. it was 9 points of it yeah it was 2-3 in, in, in four minutes by my count but Clare had 4-7 from play I think I think there was only one free that Mark Rogers took whereas Dublin only had 1-2 you know so realistically speaking you're talking about contrasting you know sets of forwards to be honest and it wasn't for uh, want of creation because Dublin had plenty of opportunities they got plenty of balls in there in the first half specifically to uh, to crumb in the legs and they just didn't come, come away with the retention rate now Clare's shot selection like we know last year and everyone will, will, will pick on it since the Kenny game and it happens again since the most final has happened again like if it happens once, you'd say right, maybe it's just it's it's a once off, you know. When it happens twice, three times, you're saying lads, this needs to be it needs to really be fixed and focused on technically because some of the shot selection, I, everyone shoots whites, you know, no, no problem with whites, but some of the shot selection is questionable, really questionable, especially when you've got forwards who have like like the fast pace and like Claire's formation allows them. They set up very narrow, like the, the, all the forwards come in kind of within the if you like the width of the goals, if you know what I mean. So they utilize all this, the space. So their system allows balls to be played into space and to use forwards. So that's why I get, I get surprised when they shoot from sort of mad angles and mad distances. Um, but like that's going to have to be fixed because I can tell you, Kilkenny, 
historically always have a good a good tight defence. Um, and they'll like they, they they won't be long clear of the freedom of the park. So they're going to have to be ext- extremely efficient um, in two weeks' time or ten days or whatever it is, rather. Because if they stay shooting the way they're shooting in terms of the wides, you know they get beaten. And I think people are probably discounting Kikini. I, I think some people are actually we'll be discounting Kikini, saying, "Ah, clear, we'll, we'll walk through them." Someone said you, you said Will, that they're they're promoting a clear Limerick final at the moment. You know that's a bit. <laughs> Ah, well, that's that's definitely the talk. I think a lot of people are saying, oh, I don't know whether that's because they want the trilogy or whether they're just expecting that Limerick and Clare are going to turn over their opponents in the semi-finals. I guess, look, it's probably an attractive game, potentially. You want to see, we've had yeah. these close Munster finals the last couple of years, but I remember Murph this time last year, even Scal and I were expecting Clare to beat Kilkenny and we all thought it was going to be a Limerick-Clare final then and your boys went and ripped up the script. Yeah, well, it wasn't a case that you're even just expecting it. You actually laughed at me. I think Scal yes, said, uh, right, this is a good one now. I want you to tell me why you think they're going to win. <laughs> so like, that's where we were last year now in terms of Clare were expected to beat Kilkenny well. That it was probably going to be a 10-point beating. Now, in fairness, nobody expected what was going to happen in that semi-final the way it planned out. But um, look, I think I suppose without showing your hand here, you can't even be happy enough. If, if if the talk going into this, which it'll probably evolve to now, come around Wednesday next week when we're looking at two semi-finals, people will be saying, "Yeah, it'd be lovely if Galway got Bet Limerick." But what'd be really good would be if Clare got to the final and Bet Limerick in the final. That's what the neutral probably wants to see because even Kilkenny yeah. look, entered, haven't won one since 2015. But nevertheless, we'll still be seen as that's not the underdog. The underdog would be Clare coming through and winning. Um, so that's probably what the neutral wants to see. And that's what people will want probably from a final. So I think Kilkenny and Galway from that respect will be happy enough if that's the narrative going in that people will be like, okay, we want to see Clare win. We want to see Limerick win because we want to see maybe Clare beat Limerick in the final. That'll suit. That'll suit. Kilkenny and Galway down to the ground if that's going to be the case but um, look there's no there's no romance in sport like we've seen these finals go like you go back to 2013 Limerick were after winning the Munster final lads were going geez, wouldn't be great if Limerick finally got over the line Clare came along in the semi-final and turned them over like you know there's no romance in any of this it just pans out the way it pans out uh, what I will say as well is two weeks there's a guarantee we'll hear the rumour mill start going. There'll be niggles, there'll be injuries, players are in, players are out. Some of it will be true, some of it won't be true. And we won't know until the day. Like, we didn't know about John Conlon until the teams were announced on the day in the semi-final. We were there last year. I was there last year um, doing the reporting and we were looking down going, it looks like John Conlon can't stir here. He mightn't be actually playing. So until that ball is thrown in in either of these semi-finals, there's a lot of unknowns. Um but I think Kilkenny will be happy enough if, if the talk wants to be around Clare or getting to an all and fine to beat Limerick. That'll suit Kilkenny fine. Well, I think as well, Murph, John Conlon will have to go through the return to play protocols now. Mm. So we'll see how he goes over the two weeks. Maybe this two-week break will do him no harm to be back for this time around. But he was a colossal loss in that game last year. He was, yeah, absolutely. And But I think it's hard to quantify how much of a loss he was because it just seemed that... I find it hard to believe that John Conlon being removed from six could result in the whole Clare team being flat. Like they were so flat that day, regardless. So even bringing John Conlon into it, it just seemed to be a case of whatever it was, it was just as disappointing for Clare on the day that they just didn't perform. I still don't believe that John Conlon being in that team would have turned around a 14 point uh, deficit. It was just, I think, well, it wasn't 14 points in the end. It was certainly at one stage, it was 14 points. But um, I think to be honest coming away from that semi-final there just seemed to be that Clare weren't flat in that game anyway I don't think John Conlon would have made a difference Certain, like, certainly he might have made a four or five point difference but he's he'll be a big one for Clare to have in this game it goes without saying and if John Conlon doesn't puck a ball in training between now and that semi-final 
I don't think there's any worry there from Brian Lowen. As long as he's right for the day and he's fit and healthy and he's able to perform, I wouldn't be concerned if he didn't play between now and then. Like you said, if anything, if he got a bit of freshness back into the legs, happy days. Mm. Skell, is it vital that both Cleary and Conlon are fit for Clare down that kind of central spine of their team to have their six and to have their three if they're going to beat Kilkenny? Yeah, because Kilkenny's forwards are very good. Like They put past, I think it was at 4-21, they put past Galway. Was that what it was last week? Yeah, I think so, yeah. It's four Yeah, and they did it in, in a venue that uh, Clear haven't gone well in of recent. But like, when you take... So Dave McInerney didn't play. I'll answer your question in a moment. <laughs> mm. Dave McInerney didn't play on Saturday, right? He's a big loss. And then you lose John Connolly, two, two half-back, two lads from the half-back line, and you, you know Conor Cleary. So I, I just don't think Clare have... Like, no no team has. No team has, has the capability to replace a three, six, and seven. So you'd assume Dave McInerney was kind of a, I think it was a soft tissue injury with like a hamstring or something. Like something, something you'd expect and hope that he'd be back for. John Conlon will, 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 will definitely play. Look, I'd say what it was was a concussion, um, just a bit of a clash, and he'll go through the protocols and he'll be back. Conor Cleary, I can't see any world he comes back. Like I know I've dislocated my shoulders, as I've told you before, and that's, that's not an injury to come back in mm-hmm. a couple of weeks. So I'm not sure what... Uh, what, what what extent of injury it is like from is it a partial or full dislocation? It looks like it was full dislocation, so he's not coming back. Let's and like even if he does come back, let's say he does theoretically, he's not going to be able to withstand you know the you know, the, the amount of impacts that he's going to take because it was granted for one said for me I could look, I'm not hit, I'm not mixing physically with with, with the with the players at a, a, a fraction of the rate that Conor Cleary will, so he's he's out and the, the clear for back to them like, for me they're open to be godless. they can be godless. I, I think that, like. The clear great balance in the team don't get me wrong but that full back line and might I ask right Murph you're a cornerback how would they get away with, 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 with the way like I'm not trying to pick on the now please forgive me but Hogan mm. and Hayes I think they're doing some amount of fouling mm. I think they're doing I think well, it's, it's Togan and Slap I think they're doing some amount of fouling they're not getting tagged for it yeah, yeah. Like, am, I, am I right there or am I wrong or? they're doing a bit as well like one of the things I would have copped and I know like people will I suppose their supporters would jump on this in a small bit but like I've noticed a small bit with Adam Hogan as well that um, I've said I've had it said to me as, as a cornerback when I was playing referees would be would be wise referees know specific players that they're dealing with in terms of traits they may have within the game and a case in point I'll give you was either Barry Kelly or James McGrath copped on to let's say Owen Larkin a few years ago Owen Larkin was a great fella for going in and, and, and getting wrapped up and potentially wrapping up around another player and he went for a few months maybe a few years getting a few frees where you know he might hold on to a lad's hurl the referee wouldn't cop it but then they started to tweet so, okay he, he, to <laughs> he, did. he did he did but uh, you know a few things like that lads get fairly fairly wise to that what I'd say with Adam Hogan is he seems to call for the referee a small bit too much as in hits the ground a small bit too much and then calls for the referee as if, you know, he's after him foul. A Dublin player pushed Adam Hogan at the weekend and he hit the ground and then he hands out and he's shouting at the referee. I can tell you, a referee will tell you, get up there and not only, he'll tell you, he'll remember that for the next time. He's not doing any favours for himself by doing it. And they are. There's a nice bit of fouling going on, which is borderline. Um, there's there, Which... I think, to be honest, if you're an opposition team going at them, you're saying run at them because A, they'll either foul uh, or B, they're not overly physical either. They're great fellas out in front. That is one thing that I do that they, that they do want is that they're great fellas to attack onto the ball. But if you get in 50-50 battles where the ball is around the box with them, where they're competing, I think there's a small bit of danger there. No fullback likes defending that anyway. But I do agree with you, Skell. There is potential there for, for fouls to be won. There's potential there to... 
if they're giving out to the referee a small bit, there's potential there also for the referee to be wise to this going into it. You can guarantee the refs are meeting now before these, these semi-finals and they'll be looking at Limerick, they'll be looking at Galway, they'll be looking at Kilkenny and they'll be looking at Clare and they'll be probably pointing out to say, look at lads, these are things that are going on. They'll be talking about Limerick with the spare arm tackle. They'll be saying, look at these are a few things that are going on. They'll be talking about Kilkenny with whatever. They'll be talking about Galway with whatever. But I do think one of the things they'll be looking at at Clare is there's been a few things that, you know, given out to referees and maybe, you know, Adam Hogan there again, maybe feeling a small bit far, sorry for himself and trying to simulate the referee. That's not going to work in anyone's favour. And I know people might not like hearing that, but I'd say there's a good few indications to say that that has been happening at times during the championship. Mm-hmm. Do you want to get to the listener questions? Because quite a few of them that relate to some of the things we've just brought up. So Sean Sabat has got a question for both of you. So Murph, I'll give you the first one. So this is the question for Murph. Will KK bottle up Clare's running game, including a Kelly man marker, or will they trust their 15 to go man on man? Uh, I'd say they'll go with a Tony Kelly man marker. Like, I mean, I'd, again, I'd say they'll just go with a few things they took from last year. But certainly, like, if you look at the runs that were made through against Dublin, like, automatically any teams in the last four, okay, let's say last three, get clear aside, they, they already are prepared for that. Like, the runners coming through the middle, track the runners. That's what they'll be saying anyway. So um, I think Kenny will trust everybody else to go with their man and go man marking. Get your pen that, ready, Skell. Here comes the I'm not saying it. On. I'm not saying it. You're going to say it. Say I, it. I held back from saying it already. <laughs> I could feel it. No, I'm not saying it. <laughs> so, so Mikey uh, Butler's going to mark it. I'm going to crack. I just want to count down for the crack, right? Go on. I, do, I do mark them, Murph. So while you're talking, I'm going to count how many times you say his name, right? Do it, do it, do it. Uh, and I'd say then as well, they'll probably have someone for Shane O'Donnell. Like potentially you might see Tommy Welch find, following Shane O'Donnell or something. I, I don't know. But I would say that um, they'll man-mark Tony Kelly. And after that, I think they'll trust the rest of the players. They'll rejig around the forwards as well. I think you'll always see physicality at the edge of the box. And following on from saying about Cleary as well, like Kilkenny do have big physicality in that forward line. Like you look at Mossy Keown, they could have a variety of... Own Cody in there. We could see Walter Welsh in there. Like they have big players in there, and you know if Clare don't have Cleary on the pitch, that will be a loss around the box because they need that physicality. But I agree with Skettle. If he's carrying a shoulder injury, I've had shoulder injuries myself down the years. Very hard to sustain anything there if if you're, if you're carrying an injury and you have big lads hitting you. Like it's just unsustainable. So I don't think Kenny will completely be reactive to what Clare are going to do. I think they'll be proactive and they'll deploy the way they want to deploy, playing their own game while at the same time being wise to lads Davy Fitzgerald we can't let him go running through the middle we need to fucking stop him at source and then we also need to mark Tony Kelly and I think after that Kilkenny go and play their own game Okay Scal your question Limerick won't change system this is Sean again he's getting two for the price of one but will Galway change their system to try and defend against Galan? Um, I wouldn't say it's change the system I think they'll try free have, have caught it free and I think they'll try put an extra body in around kind of the, the middle third as they call it because la- in last year's game specifically it was very clear cut it was like from Nicky or let's say Barry Nash out to it and I don't know who Donovan and then whipped into the corner straight away we've got to stop the second ball the first ball you won't stop you won't stop Nash and these guys getting these 20-30 yards passed out but the next ball is what you can what you can control what we want to try and force them to do is force them to go long so you've got time so basically if you force them to hit from their 30 yard line or 45 yard line you'll have time to get you know, to get out there and get into space. Whereas if you're if they're hitting the ball from 65 yards, the 65 yard line into Galen, it's a difficult proposition. So I wouldn't think they'll, they'll change tactic too much. Generally, we, we go orthodox, try free up Cahill, make the middle really compact and stop that second ball getting through because that's critical. Like, that's the way Limerick want to play. 
they want to get the ball fast into you know how, how many times you see it with Glenn and Flanagan specifically where they go out towards the sidelines, turn and shoot over the shoulder with wonder points. Like that can't happen. And like it happened last year, definitely in the first half, until Dahi and the guys in midfield got on top of top of things for a while. But um no, I answer the question. I don't think they'll change the system majorly. Just uh, try to neutralise the, the threat from the middle. Okay, you don't get to put this one in the notepad because it comes from a listener. Sean Frain, for Murph, can Mikey Butler man mark Shane O'Donnell as well as TK this year? So, again, I suppose you've touched on it. Like, Kilkenny probably do need to find someone who can be deployed on O'Donnell to mm. stop him getting a free runner out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, Shane O'Donnell is is still a dangerous player even if you have a really good man marker on him because he like I said he's a bit unorthodox like he gets a ball in his hand and it's he's harder to read than another forward because he is he's so adept at just shifting his his body position reading what's in front of him and maybe do what you're not expecting him to do that's what Shane O'Donnell does and in fairness last in last year's semi-final I think Shane O'Donnell got four points to play like he was still doing what Shane O'Donnell does so I actually think it's a harder thing to tie down Shane O'Donnell believe it or not than Tony Kelly I know that sounds kind of mad to say but Shane O'Donnell is is one of these kind of in the moment inspirational players likewise with Tony Kelly absolutely but you look at Tony Kelly, what he scored the weekend, breaking onto balls and different things. Shane O'Donnell is this like nearly type of Allen Key type of player that he just kind of fits into a slot there, does a job that nobody else really does, picks up scraps, takes an enormous amount of hardship, and then even when he's boxed up, manages to get away a shot that gets a score. And like he has an incredible running as well. So I think Kenny man-marking uh, Shane O'Donnell and Shane O'Donnell is still coming away with like let's say three points is a really good job done by a Kilkenny defence so uh, but I definitely do I do think there will be a plan for him certainly um, but like you saw last year Tony Kelly came away with no score because he was completely stifled Shane O'Donnell working off scraps still manages to get four points so two different types of players but two different players certainly that Kilkenny will want to have a plan for Hmm. Peter McNamara's words not mine before any Clare supporters come looking for me on this instead of fawning over TK scoring 3-4 against a team out of their depth something he does routinely against lesser outfits ask the lads you can take this first skill what impact he'll have against Kilkenny inside <clears throat> he made no inroads against last year scoring only 4 points 3 frees and 165 yeah he didn't score from play last year um, and I think I just did a quick check there they shot 23 wides in that semi-final as well and a hit a ball dropped into Owen Murphy. So, like, they really curbed his influence last year. It was I think, was Mikey Markham last year, Mark? Mikey I, I think he could have been, yeah. Yeah. Just so you know, <laughs> uh, just so you know, um, you, you said Mikey Butler's name three and three times in the pod so far this year. <laughs> that's actually quite reasonable. Yeah, I thought he was flipping 50. I'm disappointed at that now. Like, right, let's say, right, Mikey Butler is an inter-county hurler, right? Oh, so I mentioned sure. 24, there we go. <laughs> You've mentioned the New England Patriots and like the Cincinnati Bengals and stuff randomly. If I encounter there, I'd be like, oh, here come the Dallas Cowboys for the seventh <laughs> time on a hurling pod. <laughs> so like, and then every so often it's, Bill Belichick. I read a book about him there the other day. It's like, what has Bill Belichick got to do with anything? Is that your impression of me? That's your impression of the accent. <laughs> the, the, the big Galway accent, I tell you. Oh, Will, what the hell was the question? Tony Kelly, was it? Tony Kelly, is he going to do a job against Kilkenny? He didn't do it last year. Ah, they need him, like, they need him big time because like he has to, you know, when, when, he's, when he's gone poorly you can see in games he's, he's been man-marked that's why I can never understand why teams just don't automatically man-mark him um, so like we know what happened with Kenny. we know uh, in I think Mike Cahill Bar- Barrett picked him up would I be right in saying uh, in the Super game I think he did yeah and marched him fairly well so it's a man-marking job so that's why he's going to be set for um, but he's going to have to have a huge influence to win the game 
Otherwise, Clare don't win. And that, that's for me. If Tony Kelly doesn't play well, Clare don't win. Like their forwards are electric. Don't get me wrong. Shane Donald is electric. Shane Donald will get you, like you said, Murph. He gets you the four four points. He might assist for a goal, but he won't get you three four. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like he won't get you three four. So like you need Tony Kelly to, to, to fire all cinders. And I think if Kikini are setting up, like I, I would always say, Kikini, as I say, historically, we always have a good defence. Always, but just in, in the same breath, I want to say they conceded two twenty six to Galway. You know. Um, you can't keep clear that many opportunities. Like when you say twenty-three wides, and they scored twenty points last year against Kikini, so they had almost fifty shots. You know what I mean? So they're yeah. going to get opportunities. So that, that has to be curbed. And like a big nucleus of, of the shooting with Clare is Tony Kelly. Um, but there's a bit of pressure on him too. Like you know, he's he's had a good championship so far. But like people are going to like reenact last year, and they're going to say he didn't score. It's going to be in the media. It's going to be you know a, a nice little topic for conversation. So he's under pressure to perform. Which sounds so strange, like because he's under pressure every day, but some, for some reason this is it's quite heightened. Um, and to add that Clare haven't done well in Crow Park recently, you know it's been ten years since in Ireland they haven't won Munster in twenty five, you know, etc. And that they no more than the Premier League said on their on their podcast, like Clare need, need to win in Crow Park. They have to, they need to get it, they need to right the wrongs of last year. And I do think genuinely the margins are very very tight. And I, I like Kikini are going to it'll, it'll go toe to toe. I reckon it'll be a, a one point win. Maybe for Clare, you know, heading for draw territory. I, 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 I struggle to see a world whereby Kilkenny win by five or Clare win by five. I just, I just can't see that. I just think it's, it's so finely balanced. But yeah, Tony Kelly, he'll probably have 10 shots. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> probably come away now with, with nine pints the next day. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if every preview next week in both written and broadcast form will mention the no points in play last year mm. and Tony Kelly puts over a point 20 seconds into the game at Crow Park and it's out the window the second yeah. it starts. But we'll see how next week goes. Uh, Mick Ralph, 22. Love the pod, gents. Looking forward to this episode. Would have been probably out by now if it wasn't for bad reception in uh, Kilkenny. But anyway, question for the panel. Who do we think will pick up Conor Whelan when the Trisman take on Limerick. So give you that, Murph. Who's going to mark Conor Whelan? Uh, I'd say Mike Casey or Dan Morrissey. One or the other. Now, on, presume depending on where Dan Morrissey's playing. Though. Exactly. Dan Morrissey could find himself at centre-back. He could find himself at wing-back um, with uh, Burns tipping into the centre. So I don't know. But I'd say could be Mike Casey. Look, you need the physicality. Not to say Barry Nasher, these boys aren't physical. But you want a player who most likely is going to stay in the full back line. You want Barry Nash kind of roaming up. Granted, we've seen examples of Mike Casey doing it as well during the year. But in this instant, I think you're going to say, right, lads, Mike Casey, you're marking Conor Whelan. Granted, in every other game, you have a license to run up the field. But in this instant, we want you to stay, stay tight to him and, you know, let two and four go run up the pitch instead. So uh, I think that's what we'll see there. I think we'll have Mike Casey, great physicality, you know, great pace as well, good head on him and won't overly commit to tackles whereby... If Connor, like we saw with Cahill Barrett, where Connor Whelan and two of them were rushing out, and Connor Whelan just changed his body position, let Barrett go out past the ball, and in his my case, he won't allow that. Um, so I think that's my guess at the moment who will see Mark and uh, Mark and Connor Whelan. You'd love to jinx this, Gal, give us totally the wrong marker, and then they get the matchup wrong. But if you had a Limerick hat on right now, who would you put on him? Mind you asking that question, damn you. Uh, so you're, you're basically you're basically asking me to, t- to tell the, the public who's best suited to Mark Connor Whelan. I, I have a feeling Connor and Kylie might have a few ideas themselves. Yeah, yeah I, t- I think I think <laughs> they might be listening to what we're saying. Scott. I know we think we're important, but uh... <laughs> no, I, 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 it's it's my Casey for me, um, like because 
an awful lot of the ball that Conor contest will say is low obviously he gets the odd one comes in high but so you have to have someone who's going to match him for pace and, and quick turn pace as well so my Casey probably would be the best suited and as you said a while ago it's, it's very dependent on who to pick at six like I genuinely don't know who they're going to play at six and which is great for them in one sense because they have a host of options but if if, if for, per se uh, Morrissey goes to six and my Casey goes to three then does my Casey pick him up it's hard to know. Does Rich English come in and take him? Like I'd be saying, you want to be keeping kind of real and quiet. Um, but like historically, uh, Limerick haven't really, you know, put focus on individuals. They're, they're more about a team and a defensive setup. So I'd say you could potentially see kind of real marking a couple of lads. I don't, I don't know will they go man mark. Yeah. Not really their style. If they haven't mm-hmm. done a Johnny Kelly at this stage, I don't think. I don't really think they'll they'll do it to to Connor um, unless he stays in the one spot. In my case, and stay with him. But yeah, I'm going to go with my case. Hmm. Uh, on that kind of thought process as well Conor Laffey had asked the same question question of the pod who will Limerick get to pick up Whelan and you can have the second part of this Gal. also would the lads pick Finton Burke to Mark Hegarty um, see I, I, I I'd be conscious that people sometimes get influenced um, by, by previous performances you know um, so that was a year ago and in fairness I think Finton like he's, he came on yesterday uh, not yesterday excuse me on, on Saturday and did reasonably well um, but they're coming from two different areas now. Hegarty was on fire last year. Finchin had a full year behind him with no injuries, and the two of them had a really good, really good contest. Hegarty's not shooting the lights out, but still has the potential to do so. He'll definitely be playing, obviously. Um, but I have faith in who we have there at the moment. You know what I mean? So if if they decide to go with the same team that they started on Saturday, you know, I'm I'm quite looking into that. I wouldn't be I would be changing our team, you know, especially our starting team to suit an individual or two. I'd be, I'd be putting our team out to suit ourselves. So if we're content with the 15 to start on Saturday, that's what's produced our best performance to date. Let's go with that again. All right, Murphy, you can have this one in from Darren Normoyle. Uh, should the quarterfinals doubleheader be scrapped? Would two smaller neutral venues lead to a better atmosphere? Uh, I don't think so. Like I, I liked, um, I liked having it in the Gaelic grounds. I think Gaelic grounds is is just a great is a great uh, place to have a game or to have a doubleheader. Uh, I, th- I think for next year, probably something they'll have to do. Like, I mean, obviously part of the contention was for this game was playing it in Parky Cueve. You kind of can't do that now unless you have it prearranged. So unless January 1st, the GA come out and say, quarterfinals will be held in Parky Cueve. We don't care who's playing in it, uh, including Cork or whatever. That's the only way they're going to get around it because this one was really dictated by um, where it would be convenient for the four teams wasn't really convenient for Dublin, but that's that's really what the thought process was in this. Um, no, like the, the first game, I don't think, I think if you played that in, in, in Port Leash or somewhere, it still wasn't going to be a savage atmosphere. The first game was was gone after 30 minutes. The second game, I don't see anywhere else better anyway than the Gaelic grounds to play Tipperary in Galway. Um, like Tullamore would be a great venue, absolutely. But there's also potential that you could exceed capacity for, for a really good quarter final. So Gaelic grounds is really a sweet spot. Um, Thurless is a sweet spot for it like I mean I've played quarterfinals in Thurless and it's a great venue for it so you kind of need that 40,000 seater capacity and a double header I think it's great as well for some of these occasions where you bring together um, a whole group of fans and you get to watch another team as well like we played can't remember what we we played down below in Thurless and Wexford were on before us as well and they were playing like you know Limerick or something like that and it was just a thing of bringing four counties together. Like that in itself, I think, is a great little concoction to have for a game, for an atmosphere. And you get to enjoy also as well, if you watch the second game or the first game, whichever it is you're not involved in, 
you get to watch these games and just enjoy it and just go and watch a game that you're getting two for the price of one. So I actually like the double header for the quarter final. I think it's it builds it up a little bit better, builds up the atmosphere, pack out a Gaelic grounds and, and enjoy it. Yeah, I'd say from a purely practical point of view, it suits very well when RT were doing a double header. You've got both games in the same venue. Yeah. You can do it with one outside broadcast truck, two sets of commentators, and it just makes things an awful, an awful lot smoother as well. I, I don't know, Skell, did you hear Don Logan Friday morning? No. Missed that one. Um, he Oof. was complaining that the games weren't on Sunday afternoon and felt that the Saturday evening slot wasn't good enough for them. For what? Why? Because yeah. it's not the Sunday primetime slot. All right. Why is, okay. why is why is football getting that as opposed to Saturday? Okay. This like has gone. We, this has gone too far, hasn't it? Okay. Yeah. With, with, like in fairness, yeah. with Don Logue, lads, I like I would, with the majority of his statements surrounding hurling, I would agree with an awful lot of it. I, I agree with an awful lot of it. Sometimes, like and again, he's the only one that's putting his the head above the parapet about it. Like he's the only one taking taking what seem I won't say taking the GEF test, but you get what I'm saying. He's mm. saying it publicly, and he's saying it. Like often, <laughs> he's saying repeatedly, you know. But and I get what he's saying, you know. Um, but I would have to disagree with that one. I think it's a grand slot. I think it's yeah. a, like, Saturday evening is a grand slot. It's no problem. Like there's no question around covers. There's no question about people, you know, schedules getting in the way, etc. Or other games clashing. Like I was, I was happy. Like when 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 that happens, like like the, the semi final for Galway is on Saturday at six o'clock at Crowe Park. Like. Is he going to freak out over that now? I wonder. <laughs> like yeah. I don't mind that, Les. Like I, I'm just like. I a bit of logic to this now, right? If it was Saturday at a stupid time, you know, like I said, well, at twelve o'clock or one o'clock. Last, okay. last year that happened. Remember, it was the yeah, day of the URC final, and the Wexford Clare game was on at silly o'clock. Then I agree with that. I agree with that. That should that should be the case. Okay, I would forget about the sports and make our make our sports a centerpiece, regardless of what else is on. Now, I understand people mm-hmm. this the GA and the. You know, and art and RT as the as the as the broadcaster have you know have to come together with regards to get the best for both parties. All right, I get that. Um, but I would just say our our game is our game. Showcase it and put it put it in the schedule. Um, but it's not that wrong with Saturday evening. That's not wrong at all. So yeah. rock on. I, I don't think I'd ever disagree with that, Murph. Like four o'clock, six fifteen on a Saturday, terrestrial TV, yeah, Gaelic grounds. We've little to be given out, but if that's a problem, no, exactly. Like it's 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 perfect timing. Like I mean, the suits the players as well. Supporters aren't given out. Like I mean, look as well. It was a busy weekend for football as well, and there were some big games there. Like you know, you had uh, Mayo and Galway in these games. Like you know, knockout stuff. So like it was a busy weekend. It was an ideal time, four and quarter past six of a Saturday evening. Happy days. Like you know, I don't take much umbrage now in like being a Sunday or Saturday, as long as like we said, it's not stupid o'clock at twelve o'clock in the morning or something. You know? Yeah, yeah. The lads of crack of the ash haven't the crack as they usually do. Hurling pundit all star nominations for twenty twenty three. Number one, James Skell for rattling tip with just one comment. Number two, Jackie Tyrrell for bigging up Tipperary while giving Connor Whelan the biggest stick to beat himself with. Um yeah, we heard a lot about the uh, Connor Whelan one trick pony, uh, which may well have inspired him ahead of the game. And also I think Jackie said uh, if he had a grand to spend on anyone at this stage in a bet for the All-Ireland, he would have picked Tipperary a couple of weeks ago. So there you go. Crack of the ash, uh, thanking both Jackie Tyrrell and uh, James Skell now that they're out. Um, a lot of people asked as well, Skell, how many bales of hay do you actually have home at this point? I can't even put this down to one individual. I got about three of these on Instagram earlier. What did I make? 176. <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. 
Well, that hurts. Look at the 76. Drawn them in and drawn them in. Oh, Jesus. The, the shit shook out of me in the tractor. <laughs> 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 We're spying on the roads with the cars, lads. I tell you, tractor, different story. Seems so now. Oh, Paul, Paul 65161 was the first in. Uh, we got three questions about the bales of hay. So uh, rest assured, uh, the bales of hay are home. Um, just looking through some of the rest of these before we finish up. There's a good few in. Uh, Killian Curse. I'm not sure this is entirely a serious question, but the question was made. Can you ask El, what month does he think Tipperary will go back training? Will these strenuous winter sessions they're having impact performance in 2024 can't go much lower than the 33% championship win rate? I don't know. Murph, I'll throw it to you because El's got a few questions in a row. Do Tipperary now maybe have to have a think about their preparations? And obviously the question is going to be asked about Liam Cal given Waterford's slump in the summer before as well. Look, I think every team at the end of the year um, has looked to see what do we do wrong, you know, if at the end of the year if you didn't win the All-Ireland you're kind of looking to see what can we improve on what did we did we maybe peak too early is our pre-season maybe too arduous like I don't know what Tipperary's pre-season is I don't know are they doing more are they doing less or what are they doing are they doing it at the wrong time um, but I think nevertheless once once you lose teams often look to see and try and poke holes like no one was giving out about Tipperary's physicality or fitness up until this weekend really um, the Waterford batch was put down to maybe upstairs that their head was just, you know, not tuned for the game and so on. So there's, it's hard to make an exact call on that when you don't know what Tipperary are doing behind the scenes. Um, like, you know, you could hear, you'd hear rumours, you hear a lot of saying that they're doing really physical stuff in between games and that maybe they should rein in it. But like, that's rumours again, you don't know whether it's true or not. But look, I think Neem Cal and the lads, look, they'll take what they can from this, they'll sift through the ashes once all this is calmed down. They'll have a look to see, maybe was there a part that we played in it, maybe did we not have the lads right? And that's for Liam Cal and the management to answer. But um, certainly if the pre-season did have an effect in that, absolutely they'll consider it. But us hurling people from the outside looking in, we don't know if, if the preseason or if during the season was to blame for their, their intensity of training translating onto the pitch. We just don't know that. There could be a number of things. Mm-hmm. Um, Skell, Pip wondering here, he's a Clare supporter. Uh, come on, the banner is how he signs off his DM. Uh, says, can you ask about whether there's a worry about Clare's poor shooting throughout the championship? He also points out the struggles in the full back line and their injury worries coming into the Kilkenny game. But just maybe to pick up the point about the poor shooting, this, that is something they really have to tighten up ahead of Crow Park here. Oh, hugely, like because um, as 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 the year progresses, like opportunities get, you know, the the importance of of taking your opportunities goes up, you know, x level. It's it's, it's untold, um, and they just can't they can't have a repeat. But the, I I said a while ago, it's 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 worrisome, right? Uh, you you can allow it once if it happens one day. Every, every team happens. Every club team, every team in the country it happens a bad day. You shoot right, fair enough, right? But if it becomes repetitive and it keeps happening, keeps happening. And I, I'm wondering, right, is it technical or is it mental? So what, what do you mean by that? Technical, let's say, is just, it's just bad practice, you know, bad execution. But mental is even the, the thought process of actually taking on some of these shots that they shouldn't be doing. Like, you have certain teams with certain shooters. Limerick will allow Declan, uh, Declan Hannon and Jimmy Burns to shoot from, from long distance. Very rarely do you see O'Donovan or who you know, shoot from long distance. Even Kyle Hayes, rarely, right? So Claire will allow... Jim O'Brien to shoot from long distance, right? And then the focus really needs to be get everyone else into position. Get everyone else into position and shoot from good angles, you know? And like, even Tony Kelly, as good and all as these lads, he's top class. He, he just take on some the odd shot every now and then you're saying, geez, was that really the best option? You know, especially when you've got pace inside. Like, so yeah. it's, it's, it's hugely important to utilise the forwards because like Mark Rogers is a good player from this year. He really is. Um, mm-hmm. The long ball option is there too when you've got Peter Duggan. And I, I, don't, I don't see that being utilised at all, really. The, the odd time, it might have happened once or twice yesterday. Um, but 
throw in a couple of balls to him, create a small bit of pandemonium every now and then, you know, as opposed to having to having the ball to go there every time. So it's I, it's not I don't think it's a concern. I, I just think it'll be it'll be a focus for for Lohan that he try gets the gets the efficiency up because they're creating opportunities, which is the hard part. Um, but executing in is is uh, is going to have to be refocused from. Yeah, we've got some quickfire Instagram ones uh, before we finish up here. Showtime Murph, which is a, a comment rather than a question, really. Are we back Galway flag? So Showtime Murph, one of the lads that uh, bumped into Bob Murphy and Scale at the Leinster final recently. Uh, yep. We've covered 918 question, which is which Limerick player will mark Whelan? Uh, Enda Burke, I do like your question about Mrs. Scale and Mrs. Murphy. We will negotiate that and see what we can do. Carl Max 79 did Scale hear the lads over in Premier View having a go at him? He did now, because we played to him at the start <laughs> of the pod today. Um, I got that sent to me by someone else as well, just before we come on air. So there you go. Uh, Luke Atani, Whelan top scorer this year in play from the Championship. Is he in the running for hurler of the year? I, I think he is. Um, Murph, maybe you can take this from Shah Murph 88. Is Mark Rogers in contention for an All-Star? Um, yeah, he's certainly making inroads. And like these things often can be dictated by a good semi-final and a good final. Like, let's say if Clare to go and do that, Absolutely, yeah. He, he he would be, um, he would be in the call for it at the moment. But again, lots of things can happen. Like we've often seen players even hurling really well up into an All Ireland final and playing themselves out of contention in an All Ireland final. So, absolutely, Rogers can go and win an All Star from the position he's in. He's showed really well. Um, but again, two big finals will dictate, or the semi final and the final will dictate a lot in terms of who will be on that All Star team in terms of numbers from counties. Adrian Horry with a comment more than anything else have go Eamon that can mark Galan if they can keep them quiet I think they've got a chance of winning RN80 is brought up a point we, we talked about Liam Cal quite a bit already but the point he's brought up here um, his management style they've lost two years uh, against teams that were flying in February and March and then fade badly come championship talking about Waterford last year and tip this year uh, he has two wins in the Munster Championship since taking over Waterford in 2019 tactically he seems to be found wanting that's one we can definitely uh, bring up again uh, Tiernan Dunn with a random one if Skell could change any rule in hurling what rule would he change? Ooh if I could change anyway, so I'm going to be selfish here and put it around the focus on the goalkeeper Fair enough um, I think if if uh, what I'd like to do is like um, you know I won't say like soccer but you know, if, a long, if a long ball came into a contested area and the goalkeeper catches I think he should be allowed to call like a a mark, a mark. something like that yeah you know, like if there's, yeah. if, if, if if let's say now it can't be just like like if a, uh, your your teammate passed it back to you. That's not that's. Not, I'm talking about a long opposition ball coming in and you know catches that should that should be allowed to mark. A bit like to do you know the what's in, in rugby the you know the what they call, they call the mark when it goes inside the twenty two. Yeah, if it's inside the twenty two and you catch the ball, you can uh, bring it down and call a mark. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah, like that. Yeah. Okay, um, Murph, you could take. Never this. happened. Never happened though. No. <laughs> It's your, it's your dream rule change. Uh, yeah. Nihilus 13. If you could take one player from Clare's 95 and 13 teams and put them into this team, who would you pick? Yes. That's one, player, one, one player each is a very specific question. One player each, is it? And I think it's to very specifically put them into this current Clare team. I, I'm going one. to expand the question. Sorry about so this, Niall. I think you can have any player from the 95 and 13 Clare team. Who would you pick out of those teams to put into your team? Oh, you can have anyone. Yeah, I think so. Jesus I mean, Christ. 95 or 13. Because again, I think otherwise this gets into an argument where we turn this into the Clare podcast and we start yeah. arguing over, would you prefer to have Tony Kelly 2013 vintage or would you prefer oh, yeah, 2023 yeah. vintage? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I think you can have a player from Clare 95, a player from Clare 13. Who would you like? Uh, 
Well, Brian, no one would be busy managing and playing full back on the team anyway. So, right. yeah. <laughs> That's you'd to, yeah, you'd have, like, if you were to pick one at the moment, I'd be going Brian Lowen anyway from yeah. 95. Even for and the current Clare team, he would slot in beautifully, wouldn't he? Yeah, he would, yeah, yeah. And then I would say up to, oh, Jesus, the 2013 team, like Ian Galvin has been a big loss for Clare. Like, uh, like you forget, you nearly forget now that Ian Galvin should be on that pitch, you know, mm. come Sunday week. He should be on the field. Uh, great player. And he was savagely important for, for Clare when they won in 2013. And he was like one of these lads. Like, I mean, similar enough, you could say Podge Collins in the same breath as well. But they just got through a huge amount of work. And very, very rarely had a poor game, you know. And I know other players, I'm just trying to think who else. See, because the 2013 team, most most players are still playing. Thinking back, maybe Donlan, maybe Bugler, but... Uh, I think, to be honest, if there's one player I'd be picking from the 2013 team that's missing there, it'd be a toss-up between Podge Collins and Ian Galvin. But I'd just give it to Ian Galvin there, just in terms of like the, the what he did around the middle of the field. Like the forwards for Clare are is pretty much jam-packed at the moment. But Ian Galvin, I think, is is, is a is a big loss for them. Mm-hmm. Would you take anyone different, Scal? No, I was when the, when the question was asked, I, I Brian Lohan jumped to my mind straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from the 13 team, ooh. It's, it's, it's hard to argue what Murphy's saying because you're trying to picture them in today's current team and who can do a job in, in replacing someone who's there already. Um, and it's hard, to, it's hard to pick any forward other than Podge. Podge Collins, in fairness. Uh, Colin Ryan was very effective in 13. From dead yeah. balls from open play for Puck Out Chargers. He was very, very effective. Um, no, I, I, but you're right, Murphy. I think to slot in, you're, you are going Podge Collins. Like, he was class. He, he was an all-star that year, wasn't he? Uh, he was, yeah, very sure. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you're talking about an all-star, an all-star forward going back into a team. So, yeah, I'm going to go Podge. Okay. And, Skell, you get the very last question, which came in from Killian Ryan. For this week's podcast, can you ask Skell to break down how Galway stifled tip? Was it down to formation, matchups, aggression, or a combination of all of them? Love the pod, lads. Killian wondering how were Galway so effective at stopping tip? I, I think I think it's, it's, I suppose, from what I said earlier, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a, an accumulation of all those. Like it wasn't one particular item you could pick out. That that was it. It was everything. So it was intent and aggression first of all. Uh, great attitude. The matchups worked fabulously because they they ultimately stemmed all tips big players. I went through the five guys, the five main players, and the five lines. Yeah, you know, and so all those all those matchups worked to treat. Um, then they had some individual brilliance from Conor Hill. You know, it's like these things all accumulate. But first and foremost, the foundation of any big performance from a team has to be attitude and intent and I think Chicago just showed that I just think they they suffocated Tipperary to be honest because we went from conceding what was I saying we went from conceding 4-15 from play against Kilkenny to 1-10 you know and the goal was avoidable to be honest so that was that was really good that's a good sign that that, that everything got tightened up and uh, was really aggressive and, and, and purposeful so I'd say it has to not an easy answer with everything to be honest <laughs> Two emails I'm going to save for next week because they're about championship structures and one was a very detailed breakdown of Limerick Legends versus Kilkenny Legends which I think we'll have a bit more space maybe next week in the preview to possibly do them but thanks to everyone who sent in questions on Instagram and Twitter this week we'll be back live on YouTube I think in a couple of weeks time after the semi-finals and we can have a free-for-all of uh, chat and questions at that point uh, the James Skehel pod is an association with Port Gosh I say that with a half straight face the Hurling pod is uh, of course an association 
Association uh, with Borgash Energy. They're also official sponsors of the Senior Hurling Championship. They've been uncovering spore stories which have been highlighting the positive impact that hurling has had on people's lives. The competition winner, uh, hosted of course by our good friends at BGE this week, is Teresa Southern. So congrats to Teresa and thanks for entering. A goodie pack is on the way to her. Uh, of course, you can enter every week and Borgash Energy are giving away a grand prize at the end of this for tickets for the All-Ireland Final. And now there's only three games left. I can confirm that myself. We don't have to check that with Mrs. Murphy. Uh, we are getting to the point where those prizes get really serious between now and the end of the campaign. Um, a reminder again that the tickets are available for our roadshow, 20th of July, Borgash Theatre in Dublin. If you want to pick them up, go to the Off The Ball social channels. All the details are there. Uh, buy them now, buy them early, come along, have a chance to spend the night with us and some very special guests. Lads, it's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to the semi-finals in a couple of weeks and no doubt what will be a bumper preview on the James Skell pod ahead of those games next week as well. Well, lads. God bless. I can see Skell is enjoying it already. Actually, one very last question was this came in from, I think it was Mark Farrell who sent this in, said, is Skell's mother proud that he now has his own podcast? Has to be. My mother proud. Um, she has to be proud the swearing's been cut down by at least 85% since the early episodes. Yeah, yeah she asked me actually when the tickets come out, she goes, would there be children of this? I said, possibly. And she just, she, you know the look you get off only a mother can give you with well, there's no words. It's just this kind of, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you fucking dearly cursed. <laughs> so, the irony of it. <laughs> I did like that someone, when we put up the thing as well, it said, my child is going to come home from this live podcast and is going to say, I fucking hate Tipperary. And he's going to go <laughs> That's brilliant. She bought a ticket too, so she, she'll, be, she'll be in the in attendance, so I better be on my best behaviour. Good. I'm looking forward to that already. Lads, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a million again. Ciao, lads. OTB's The Hurling Pod. With Board Gosh Energy. Hurling. It's anyone's game.